the land of mystery where dreams become reality always listening to stories from the past the present and the future this is back to your story How you guys doing? Dude, we're doing great. I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm kind of fighting off a of flu at the moment. Other than that, I think I'm, you know, I'm pretty great. I think uh, that for me, having the both of you on, uh, it means a lot. It, it really does. I know we're going to dive deep into some uh, very interesting topics. And Alex, when you said... Uh, Come join me for dinner with my sister and a friend of mine. I was like, oh, shit, what am I about to get myself into? Uh, but, it, but it was awesome. And getting to meet your sister, uh, it, it's crazy. I see a lot of my own sister in you oh. and the relationship that you guys have. So it's awesome. I, well, I, that, that, that connection, sorry I guess. To you. <laughs> Seriously, straight up. No, I'm just fucking around. Um, but uh, I, I want to just kind of dive right into it. Um, where are you guys from? Uh, L.A., but we were born in, uh, I was born in Van Nuys, but I was, my whole life in Santa Clarita. Since okay. I was two. Yeah. yeah. Santa Clarita. So, yeah. uh, I'm going to fact check. You were born in Arlita. Actually, <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, I was born in Granada Hills Hospital. Oh, I shit. have that on my birth <laughs> There we go. There we go. Super uh, technical, uh, my friend. Uh, yeah, same. <clears throat> so, um, all of us, all the Sibs, we were born in Arlita, California, but our parents are of Palestinian yeah. descent. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, how long ago did you guys' uh, parents move to the States? Uh, the seventies. My well, my dad came first, and then he went back, and he um, was basically, you know, kind of looking for a wife at the time. He came here in his twenties, and Shit. yeah, actually, what am I jumping this story, story right yeah. now? Uh-oh. So yeah, he came in here. Yeah. He came in here uh, in, in his twenties, and the the circumstances under which he came here too is pretty interesting, but. Maybe I'll say that for later, but he came out here, um, you know, kind of started working, you know, his family moved out here and then, you know, he kind of experienced the American life and realized he was ready for a Palestinian woman. Uh, so he actually went, wow. he actually went um, to meet. So he got, you know, in the old fashioned kind of way, okay. you, uh, you get arranged, like you get, Hey, there's a girl you wow. know, over here. I want you to meet her. You know, she comes from a good family, that thing. So he went to um, Lebanon where my mom was um, living. She's Palestinian, but okay. she was living in a Palestinian refugee camp over there. And um, he actually went to go uh, meet my mom's sister. Whoa. And so, yeah, so he went there with the intention of, you know, meeting my mom's sister and, and you know, seeing if he, there was something there. And then he saw my mom, and he's like, whoa, okay, let me just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Step, step aside. <laughs> let me pump the and, brakes a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, so... He's like, no, I, I want that one. So um, he, uh, you know, he talked to my mom's parents and my mom was really not about it at first. But um, I think a lot went into the decision to be open to it, partly, you know, the opportunity mm-hmm. also to come to America and that yeah. thing, too. But my parents had um, only a week's worth of courtship before they decided to get married. Are you serious? Yeah. One, one week? One week. Yeah. yeah. It was like, you know, my was mom a- was like, yeah. You know, I really wanted to go to the States. And, like, and you thought your dad was cute. And, you know, he was a little bit overconfident. Yeah, so cocky. that was annoying. Yeah. And she's like, but I thought I could love him. Yeah. And I, no I was way. like, oh, man. Like, this is 
And so I tried to have that mindset going yeah. into dating. <laughs> I was like, could I marry this man based on I could love I him? I could love him. You know, wow. but they, they did yeah. the whole, you know, like read poetry to each other. It was like, you know, it was cute from the way they talk about it. Yeah. But it was it was a much different time and it was very short. For sure. I mean, uh, my, my wife and I took 10 years to get married. So the thought of uh, one week, that's just, uh, it's truly fascinating. And they've been together for how long now? Yeah. Uh, so let's say probably around 40 they, I think they got married in 74. You want yeah. to move the so microphone? We're looking about like, oh, I think they got married in 74. There we go. So. 45 years? Shit. 45 years. So after one week of courtship, uh, they've been together for 45 years. And how many kids? Four kids. Four kids. Yeah. And I think it just, you know, it 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 goes to show when you like when you want to make something work, when you yes. maybe have, you know, the circumstances where you feel like you need to make it work. But, you know, anybody can be happy for sure marriage. You know, absolutely. It, it's more about you know where are you with yourself I yeah think, absolutely I, I mean I think it's up to the individual and just the the sheer brilliance of your parents uh, meeting each other for one week and then lasting 45 years having four children your father uh, moving to the states uh, in his 20s and just kind of going through everything uh, that that they have gone through it, it just it, it blows my mind because uh, in today's standards 2020 uh, that is not the norm by by any means or at least for American culture right, right. Uh, based in the United States that is, is not and especially we live in a day and age where uh, people get married and divorced quicker than uh, they can say I do so uh, I, I do find that fascinating and uh, for your father coming to the states what brought him here uh, well it's it's funny there's so the one of the things let's just say that that was going on there because if you're familiar with you know that area uh, Palestine, Israel, um, you know, it was kind of a necessity if you needed, if you wanted to, you know, have a better life. Yeah. Um, as a Palestinian over there, it wasn't easy. Actually, one story that he tells that it was that he used to be an activist and he was, you know, passing out flyers all the time to try to, you know, talk about the occupation and protesting. And, um, you know, the Israeli authorities over there basically went to his parents, uh, my grandparents, and said, um, you know, if, if you don't want your son in prison or jail, you get out of the country. Just leave. And he, and he, he's a Christian. He, we come from a Christian background, so okay. it's a. Li- I mean, it's a little easier to maneuver if yeah. you're a Christian versus yeah. being Muslim over there, um, especially when you're applying for a visa to get out. Okay. You know, so it was a little easier, I think, for them to probably get out than other people. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just find that fascinating. That just because you're a Christian or you're a Muslim, mm-hmm. that makes it easier or not easier. I, I, I wouldn't even imagine what that's like for the individual. I mean, me being a white male born and raised in Southern California, um, I, even with the shit that I've gone through, it's not even one tenth of uh, the stuff that your parents have faced. Um, growing up with. Uh, you know, your, your parents' background. How, how, how was that? I mean, it, was it challenging? Did you guys face any, uh, you know, bullshit growing up? Well, besides having strange snacks in our lunch, <laughs> no one wanted to trade with me. Gosh, darn it. Yeah. Pita bread and hummus. Yeah, and that's like, Damn, that sounds amazing uh, to me. I know. Now it does, right? Yeah. But I don't know. Back then, a, a bag of almonds was not like a fair trade. Definitely not. So, like, um, yeah. I, well, <clears throat> I think growing up with parents like that was confusing. Um I think especially because they were very confused, you know, yeah. about their own identity and, and, and how to embrace, you know, um, 
I guess you could call a, the culture that mm -hmm. they were living in now. Oh. So we kind of felt a little bit lost growing up. For sure. Um, and I think most people didn't really understand at that time in those days um, much about other ethnicities. So I was immediately always boxed into being Mexican. Hello. No, so many people would be speaking Spanish to me. Like, I'm not. Yeah. But actually, we both know where I ended up at some point because of that. <laughs> but, um, but no, yeah. So it was it was very difficult because we always kind of felt like we were trying so hard to be something else, but we didn't know what what we were, yeah, I, you know, so yeah, because, sure. because my parents, I think they were so traumatized by what they went through that they were just sort of ready to start over. Absolutely. And they didn't want to put that trauma onto us. They weren't sure if we would have to deal with any of that. For sure. So they tried their best to protect us wow. by sort of saying like, well, this is who you are now. So just figure it out. Wow. That's incredible. So, yeah. And it was always kind of, you know, growing up like, you know, you don't need to talk about Palestine, Israel. You know, don't worry about that. Keep your, like, just focus on your studies. Focus on, but I was like, just keep, you know, don't, don't bring those stuff, that stuff up. You know, I remember like wanting to bring it up in history class all the time. And my mom getting mad at me for, for telling her about, hey, so I brought up, you know, the Palestinian occupation in class today. And my yeah. teacher, and we started talking about it. She's like, why? Why do you do this? Yeah. Don't talk about it. Just keep yeah. your head up. Don't talk about it. Yeah, anytime we would, out, like, I would learn, we'd have this, like, fire to talk about it. Yes. My mom would go, like, mom, at school today, it came up again. Yeah. Or with my friends in the car, her immediate reaction was, <gasps> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because she was like, you're not allowed to talk about this. And it's like, you know, like they, they don't want that, the experience that they felt over there to, you know, anyway hinder us in our lives here. I can understand because that. Because it's, it's a much different perspective yes. here. You know, like they don't, our perspective, our parents. And that's one of the things that I really actually loved about growing up to not just immigrant parents, but Palestinian immigrant parents is that I got a really, keen insight into a much different perspective of what's going on over oh, the Middle East specifically and yes. in the rest of the world than the average person would hear. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and I I can understand where your parents are coming from, though, uh, saying, don't talk about it, don't talk mm -hmm. about it, because uh, your father, you know, was almost or could have been, you know, imprisoned just mm -hmm. for uh, speaking his mind, speaking his heart, speaking his soul, mm -hmm. um, where in the United States, for the most part, we can pretty much say whatever the fuck we want. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's it's so different. So that that generational divide of what they've been, you know, what they went through to uh, what you guys uh, have now. I mean, I, I just I, I keep on going back to I find it amazing. So <clears throat> going going through all of that. Um, at, at this point in your life, um, what what are you guys even doing? What do you guys do? Uh, I am a mortgage lender. Okay. So I've been in banking, well, I would say right out of college. I majored in finance, in college finance, real estate, and minored in history. Um, and right out of college, I worked. I was a teller through college, and then I okay. became a personal banker. And then from then on, I've just been in finance. So right. now I'm a mortgage lender, um, and I finance homes. Nice. Yeah. Um, I am a former film producer. Nice. Um, I'm a behavior therapist now. And I also um, develop a virtual reality application. You That's know, incredible. For, for therapeutic practice. Very nice. Yeah. I like that a lot. So. <laughs> um, growing up, though, what, what was this something that you really envisioned yourself doing? Uh, you know, okay. So when I was in high school, um, 
man, I, I just, you know, the cool thing about, so I'm the youngest of my family, the youngest of four, and I'm the only one I think that had, that got to spend the most time with my mom okay. because my parent, my siblings, when they were younger, both my parents worked. And then when I hit a certain age, my mom kind of like you stopped working and just okay. was a full-time um, homemaker. And so she kind of drilled it into me like, you know, hey, you want to be like an investment banker if I am. <laughs> you know, all this stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so she's like, yeah, you don't, don't, don't bother with other things. These are the things you want to do, you know. And so I've always liked talking numbers and finance and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And, um, you know, there's two things that I and – and it's cool because I think that I'm on the track of what I envisioned, at least in high school, where um, – you know, I thought I was going to be an investment banker out of college. That did not happen. But um, but I always said, you know, I want I, I want to I want to work in finance. My true passion is actually teaching. I I love to teach whatever it is, anything that I know, whether it's a subject, history, yes. or just how to do something that I know how to do. I like to I just like to explain for sure concepts to people that are not easy, but that I can explain and get them together. Because once somebody understands what I'm trying to teach them, it's a it's a it's, it's a rewarding thing. feeling. So absolutely, and I do that in my job, which is cool. I get to because you know not everybody understands finance and, no. and home mortgages. So when I get to talk to somebody and explain it to them, so they understand it, and they're like, "Wow, you know, no one talked to me that way, no, or explained it that way." Thanks for taking the time. Definitely, that's just what I like to do, and that's what makes me good at what I do. I, I think it's uh, I think it's really uh, important what you do and the, the the aspect of educating, right? Because in the American school system, we really don't do that. We don't set our uh, students up for the real world, right? We just kind of uh, just copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. And being able to, you know, hear people say, hey, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And then you having the the sense to be like, okay, well, this is how we do it and break it down bit by bit. It makes the world of a difference uh, for for that individual. Uh, What about you? Um, What was the question? I have no idea. (laughs) No, but like VR, behavioral therapist, film producer. That's what I always wanted to do. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think like Alex mentioned, my mom, you know, pushing him into that. I I have to say, I mean, I don't think we have, for me, my experience with, with my parents was a lot different. My mom was just totally my biggest fan. She's like, whatever you want to do, do it. And her dream for me was to have a talk show, which wow. is so weird. Yeah. So I'm here to take notes and steal your... <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, she, she always wanted me to be in the field of media, film, producing. So yes. I kind of did do you know, what I wanted to do. And she loved that. So, but uh, you know, uh, I don't know how much you know about the industry. It seems like quite a bit. That is a lot like being a therapist on the side. Producing Mm -hmm. is a lot, like so much psychology involved and it just came very natural to me naturally. And I had a background in it already. And I had a lot of people pushing me into that field. So it kind of came to me. Mm But then I started hitting a lot of walls in therapy and feeling very frustrated and realizing it was because I feel like the tools and the resources we have are still kind of archaic. Yes. We're not moving into a you know, more progressive for sure. treatment Absolutely. Uh, plan for, for anyone, really. So I thought I heard about VR with PTSD and um, uh, using it with a lot of cancer patients and Absolutely. things like that. And I thought, why aren't we using this yes. uh, for people who have social impairments yeah. and other things. Anyway, why aren't we using it everywhere? Absolutely. So yeah, so I decided to kind of marry my love for film and therapy and create something that I thought could help people on a more global level. For sure. So. Absolutely. You know, I, I just kind of keep on going back to to your parents, right? Everything that they went through and then to be able to instill uh, the 
the thought to just fucking go for it. Follow your dreams. Do what makes you happy. So many people uh, in, around the globe just kind of get stuck in this routine. And so for your parents, everything that they went through, passing that down uh, to the next generation, it's just amazing. Yeah. Well, I think part of, too, what, what, what inspired me was their pain. Mm. Like, I felt like this is a tool I could eventually bring to, you know, war zones and, yeah. you know, you other sort of conflicted areas in the world. For sure. And yeah, I mean, it was like you said, it was kind of that, like seeing their fire, like live vicariously through us, but also thinking, I wish I could have helped you with something like yeah. this. Yeah. The other thing I that, get that. I, I really, you know, took from them that's helped me, you know, just in life and get through is that they just worked all the time. Like they got here and from the moment my dad had like three jobs and then he put himself through school while having a family, oh working those, gosh. got his master's degree. Like, he just worked nonstop. And, I, like, you know, I'd be sitting around, like, even in college or, like, when I had my, my first full-time job, and I'm just thinking, like, damn, like, like I, I would think back to just, like, how, like, if I'm not doing something productive, then I'm wasting time because, you know, you need to be always doing something productive, you know. And so I think that by also thinking that we've also, in our family, too, like, as siblings, we really appreciate leisure time at the same time, too. Like, yes. just know how to, like, <laughs> not do anything at the same time but, and then feel guilty for not doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah. like, it's important, though. There's that, there's that, you know, just the guilt you lived with, too, just for, you know, I don't know if it's, it's having a Catholic upbringing or having an immigrant upbringing, but guilt is always somewhere um, involved in the mix there. No, no, yeah. for, right, for sure. For everything. Yeah. And, and, Having your parents, uh, you know, come from where they came from, being with the, you know, Christian background. I just heard you say Catholic. So uh, were you brought up Christian, Catholic? Yeah, so it was, uh, well, I know I was I was raised Catholic. I, I don't know. And it could just be our proximity to a Catholic church. It's kind of church. what they chose for us in a yeah. way because my mom was raised Roman Catholic. My dad was Orthodox. Yeah, Russian Orthodox. And, um, and I, because they wanted us to go to a good school because growing up, we, you know, we, we, were, we weren't always middle class, let's put it that way. Yeah. So they were afraid of the school systems. There was a Catholic school. My mom felt comfortable with the Catholic church because she was raised that way. And they sort of just made that decision to raise us Catholic. For sure. But I think after we got confirmed, they just said it was like up to you. That was it. Yeah. That was it. And at this point in your life... Um, uh, does the Catholic upbringing, is it, uh, do you guys still practice it? Do you guys still, you know, push forward in it? Yeah, or like is it right before I'm about to crash my car? I suddenly become Catholic. God, please help me. I know, right? I know. You know, somehow it's, it's funny you said it because like, I always go back to saying a prayer. Like, yeah. I'm really yes. scared. Yeah. Or I'm really going to some show. I'll, I'll, so I'll go back on that. But if, like I'm going to get yeah. my, sorry to say this, Alex, but yeah. if I'm going for like an STD check. <laughs> <laughs> so you started saying like, the Hail Mary, our Father. Exactly. Yeah, I like, love it. It's been my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> Just, don't do it Come on. But I'm, I'm a straight man. You, you do me this solid, yeah. I promise. You know, it's so classic that way. But yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I would say though we're we're um, we're very far from religious. Um, you know, other than those moments, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, but you know, and I think Jennifer, Jennifer, you're probably the only one that's been confirmed at the family. No, Billy, Listen, no, Billy too. I don't yeah, know, I maybe, so. but but I definitely have. Um, 
And I just remember having to go to Sunday schools and then mom doing my homework for me. <laughs> no way. <laughs> That's a good mama. Someone's got to do it. She's going, he's going to get yeah. the day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there are so many memories of my mom doing our so homework dope. because she couldn't deal with like embarrassment of our family. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Like, so that that jill factor. She probably yeah. did like at, like the majority of our elementary school projects. <laughs> yeah, like, for sure. No way. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we were so bad at that. Well, <laughs> she'd be happy too. She's like, oh, I got the name. Yeah. <laughs> Granada, though, Brock, you, what you said earlier was kind of why. Like, she, yeah. she didn't have that. I mean, she grew up in a camp in yeah. Dubai, which is above Beirut, and she was treated like dog shit yeah. for being Palestinian by the Lebanese. Fuck. It wasn't any better there. Mm. Um, I think she didn't have these, what she thought were, you know, like opportunities as a child to really learn things in a creative way. And so I think she actually was enjoying herself. For sure. Like this was fun for her. Yeah. And she yeah. was like, wow, this is what it's like. So, so I think it was that. And then also, yeah, not wanting us to bring home and bring any shame onto the yeah, family. Yeah, for sure. F <laughs> you know, no, no, no. And, and, and that's, and that's such a good point that, that you say, you know, the, the shame, the guilt, um, going through that now, like everything that you guys have gone through, um, when you guys make your decisions, when you guys make your choices, is there any type of, you know, just kind of, shame, guilt, that if when it's your time to have kids that you think that would something that you'd pass down. Yeah, I would say guilt is something that I've, <laughs> I've had to like work through. Like, yeah. you know, just um, it's 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 like a way of of raising, let's say if I was in that shoes, there's there's better ways than to use guilt to like get, get sure. your kids to do something. Absolutely. But, you know, it's, there's also a lot of worse ways to do something. One hundred percent. I'm not complaining about that. But but when I when I make my decisions and when I feel certain things, I realize that there's there's a level of or like um, uh, some some sort of guilt influencing those decisions, and that's something that probably over the last couple of years is really, like I've really noticed, and then you know have have changed for sure. Absolutely, it's like really noticing um, our weakness, our flaws, whatever whatever it is inside of us, and uh, you know we get to a certain age, and if you can really recognize those, you know, as I've gotten older, I try to pull all my bullshit to the front. You know, I, I tell my wife call me out on my shit 24 mm-hmm. 7 say it right then and there and i used to be the type of person where i was like you know fuck you like i don't want to hear that shit but then something changes right mm-hmm. and you either face it or you don't you go to the left you go to the right and we have so many decisions and choices throughout our life that we can go one way or the other way and um just the, the 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 story that you guys are sharing with me with your parents and your upbringing what was it like having four uh, siblings because i had three and it yeah. was fucking chaos you, uh, so are you one of three i'm one, one of three one of three okay yeah so i middle I, child i loved it personally i love having siblings but I, what's it what's very interesting the dynamic is that we're all like roughly four years apart okay. i'm the youngest and my brother's the oldest, and there's two other girls in between. There's about 12 years of difference. Um, but for some reason, you know, I was very close with my brother growing up, too, like from my, my adolescence ages. You know, he was someone who, you know, I looked up to a lot. And yeah. luckily for me, he lived at home for a while. So we got to, be like, <laughs> <laughs> we got to have a cool uh, relationship. That's awesome. Um, you know, I got to, you know, um, see what to do, what not to do. For sure. Um and I think being the youngest too, it made it easier for me to like have more freedom. Yeah, absolutely. You know, with my with our, with Jennifer and Billy, you know, my parents being so young too and like stressed out probably all the time. They probably have a, had a lot. Oh yeah, shorter we leash. we always tell Alex like he got it so good because my parents were like 
always giving us yeah, the belt, you know, for like, sure. getting whipped all the Absolutely. time. And then by the time Alex, they're just tired. They're just yeah. done. Back, fuck <laughs> it. So we bit, would yeah. like have to hit Alex. There was there was a level of resentment, I think, a little bit for a while. Oh, I'm sure. Like you know, that shit. <laughs> that's um, that's yeah. so funny. I don't think I resented you. I just didn't really know you, which we talk about. Yeah, so that's funny because yeah. wow. Jennifer and I didn't really have a close relationship at all until our like until I got to like 25. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, incredible. I mean, yeah. because what, what is the age gap between you two again? Eight, eight years. years. Eight yeah. years. Yeah, so eight I years. I didn't really so, know him. Wow, that makes thing, sense, though. So yeah. just, to, just, just to give everybody like a physical appearance, I'm the, I'm the biggest in my family, and so probably because of better nourishment. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so he says. Uh, so uh, uh, um, I'm, I'm kind of viewed by some of my siblings as more of an older brother, bigger brother, you know, for All some right. reason. I think it's just, And so am I. Yeah. <laughs> So the older brother, the older brother sometimes says you're my other brother. (laughs) I'm physically bigger, um, but also just, I don't know. I I think, I think, um, I like, I just take on, there's certain things about me that I like to take on responsibility for others in my family and people that I know that I just kind of like being that big brother role too. For sure. Absolutely. It's that education. Alex likes to feel like he's taking care of people in order for him to feel safe. I think it's a safety thing, too. Like, if he's got everything and under control and he can help or whatever, then there's no uncertainty. There's no chaos and stuff. Absolutely. And so it's kind of, yeah. kind of nice to have that around. But then I'm always like, who's looking after you? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and that's, and that's it's, it's real cool. Because I, I had, like, with my sister, Melissa, um, she's the one between Jennifer and I. Okay. So we're like a four-year's part. I was really close to her when I was really young. Like I was like, you know, four to eight or something like that. We were really close. And then, you know, she became a teenager and had hormones. And so, and that's when then me and my brother had a really close relationship. And that was more the, like up until, you know, my teenage years and getting to college. And then it wasn't until like after college that um, Jen and I started getting really close. And that unsurprisingly happened to coincide with relationship issues and had yeah. going through my first relationships and then Jennifer is like, oh, I can handle this shit. This is what <laughs> yes. I know. You know? And then we bonded over that, I think. Yeah, I think I was also not around a lot. Right? Yeah. Like I was just well, kind of, I was true. like, well, I flew the coop really early yeah. and like just had to, I don't know, just... Yeah. yeah, live my life. Yeah. Live my life. Live you my moved life. to like San Francisco when I was in like high school or no, younger yeah. than high school, I think. I don't know. When did you uh, move to San well, Francisco? Well, it was 2003 or four. Yeah, high school. Yeah. Wow. So, so I was, yeah. I yeah, like peaced out. You're like later, so, later yeah. bitches. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think that Alex kind of liked that too in a way. Like he always wanted to know about my experiences, where I was, what I was doing, all this stuff. He was drawn to that. And I thought, oh, this kid's taking an interest in me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, please, child, come. Yes, <laughs> come, come child. under my wing. <laughs> yeah. And so um, I really liked that and really, you know, brought the curiosity out in me too. So For I was sure. like, yeah, tell me more about you. We just bonded. And then all of a sudden felt like, wow, I, this, he's a lot like me. No. I never knew it my whole life. He's a lot like me. And I actually saw a lot of the struggle I went through my parents I saw him going through as well yeah. and it was kind of forcing me to face that too Absolutely. so we are we actually talk about our yeah our relationship with our siblings a lot or our parents and mm-hmm. how they were doing the same things to us because of their trauma but it having a very different impact on us because of who we are as, yeah. as people absolutely and that bringing us together too we bonded through that a lot so. for sure 
connecting on uh, connecting on those issues. And um, I, it makes sense. You're you're eight years older. Yeah. So when you were you were ten, Alex, uh, she was eighteen. Right. So <laughs> yeah. So, so but yeah. Our, <laughs> our, so our shared experiences. We didn't have much of that until we were older. So like until I had a little more life experience that For we could sure. start bonding and relating to each other. And, and yeah, I did always look up to Jen because she just was always doing something big. Like she was traveling, she was living her life and like, you know, more so than, you know, anybody, like I would say like in relation to my other siblings, I, I view my other two siblings more like either peers or younger siblings where I view Jen as really like my older sister that I has helped, you know, kind of yeah. guide me a little our, bit. Our, our siblings are going to make you burn this later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. And also I have to be honest, like I think it was my, my activism, my, my love for Palestine and, you know, the, and the, the desire to tell the story of yeah. the Palestinian people. Alex was like, this is what I want to do. <laughs> Jen, Jen. Like, and like, Next time you go to a rally, I want to come. That's Next awesome. time you talk on this point, I want to be there. And then it, I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. But then it kind of came to a point where Alex was so invested in it that I was turning to him being like, look, I've got to do this huge presentation. I've got artists coming in from Palestine. I'm hosting, I was hosting a wow. big event in London and I turned to Alex for my, you know, opening speech at this event and was, you know, he, he stays like the student became the master, yes. <laughs> the teacher. Yes. Whatever. Yeah. So I, I think that that also kind of bonded us was our sort of mutual Kind Absolutely. Of, yeah, interest in that. For sure. Kind of. mm-hmm. Um you yeah. live you don't live in London, but you live in England, correct? I live in London. You live in London. Ah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> um you were in San Francisco, London. Did I've that been happen? Everywhere. <laughs> like, well, actually my job brought me to London. So okay. I was I was um, you know, kind of headhunted by an agency awesome. to work with a very specific type of clientele. For sure. Basically high profile. So um, I had already a background and a name for myself in L.A. working with industry types, we could say. Hey. So high profile, yes. celebrity, whatever, annoying, blah. So <laughs> just like no names dropping on the floor today. But, um, but yeah, so I had already established myself in L.A. And um, somehow my name traveled there and yeah. That was like, I just, I don't know, it was, it was really strange, Brock, because yeah. I never saw it coming. For sure. And I was in between clients, and I thought, okay, I had an offer in Boston. Wow. Um, one in Maryland, so that was a no. <laughs> You're like, no, uh, yeah, so, no. Yeah. And then, and the London offer. So I just, obviously, my mom yeah. was like, you better take that, She's you like, know. You better take she it. She was like, yeah. And then now, of course, when I got my, now I'm a, a, a citizen. That's so I amazing. have dual citizenship. And it's kind of nice that, you know, I come from refugee parents and I could be like, what's up? I have two passports That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that was kind of a big deal for me because of that. Because yeah. it's like, you know what, all you did, you worked so hard, it wasn't for nothing. Now yeah. I can say I have, you know, two citizenships Absolutely. And, and I'm traveling and I'm happy. And I think yeah. that makes them really happy. But now it's, for sure. now they never want me to move back. They're like, <laughs> you have to do more. Don't come keep home. Pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So. But, but it is, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. I mean, to, to go through everything that you guys have gone through. Um, and, and now to be at this point in your life, you've got dual citizenship dual citizenship, living in London, uh, following your dreams, pushing forward. Uh, 
take away, you know, uh, your, your parents and everything they've gone through just to be able to get to this point in your life. Most people don't ever get to see that. And so don't stop, continue to push, continue to move forward. Um, what are some of the next things that you see yourself, you know, working on? Cause the other day we were talking about virtual reality. Yeah. Um, how does that kind of play into, you know, everything that you do? Um, yeah, I don't know. Well, I, the thing is, you know, Brock, I really suffer from imposter syndrome. Do you know what that is? So, like, so, yeah, we all like have imposter syndrome, right? We're, we're thinking like, you know, I'm not going to achieve this. Who am I? I don't have the qualifications for that. Like, well, this is mental. But, but like, you know, I think for the first time in my life, I got, I pushed through that and I am now like, I can do everything. And I think what's important for me are two things. And one is, as I mentioned before, it's being able to help people on a much more global level, you know, and, and being able to make a difference, leave my stamp sort of in that sense. I really just want to help a lot of people navigate in this world. Fuck yeah. And the second one is to bring more awareness to the occupation yes. and, and the people who have died trying to do that. Just mm-hmm. trying to bring awareness mm-hmm. is scary. It is. And, I, and I think this is why my mom's always scared of it. You know, they, it's not a joke. Like, no. you know, people who try sure. to expose the truth are often targeted and oftentimes they're attacked yeah. and they, they're gone. Yeah. <laughs> so no. I'm not trying to go to that dark place, but, no, it's, but we'll it is what there. it is. We'll get there. I promise. So I feel like as I'm getting older, this, there's this feeling uh, that my life purpose is about truth. Um, and so I think for me, my focus is going to be this virtual reality application that I think will be able to help a lot of people and, um, making, uh, more films and more art, um, and bringing more artists working together to, you know, make make it more known about about what's happening in Palestine. For sure. So yeah, so maybe moving back. Yeah, you think that's in the uh, the deck? Yeah, Jen, definitely what about your, to the state. What about your VR app? Tell yeah. about that, that about that going into you know what we're doing. Well, well, well. I thought I did just talk about it, but I'll talk about it some more. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what, what so is we, the app? So the virtual reality app is devel- is designed to be used on the Oculus Go. Yes. And it what it does is it puts um, young adults. It's aimed to to help young adults on the autistic spectrum. It puts them in social situations that can be really difficult. I even think for neurotypicals yeah. um, to to get through. Um, in a in a choose your own adventure style. It's very cinematic. We use live actors, so you might be at a party. Um, and you'll have one minute to um, acclimate or acclimatize. There we go. And in that time, you are able to, like, if you're at a barbecue, uh, you might hear your coach or your therapist say, no, that girl, she's on her cell phone. She's probably not someone you want to approach right now. Or don't eat those hot dogs, they're raw. Mm-hmm. Or don't drink from that cup, there's probably someone else's alcohol in there. Like, yeah. Something like that. Then you will go into a situation like, um, maybe dealing with public display of affection. Okay. So a lot of our patients really struggle with that at parties. <laughs> so, I get it. So they might be right in front of a couple making out. You might be mm-hmm. right in front of a couple making out and someone else kind of trying to distract you. And if you don't have the appropriate gaze, you'll be prompted where to turn your eyes. No way. And once you've passed this level, the next level would be the correct response 
in the correct amount of time. Okay. So the screen will pause and you'll have three options, one being pro-social, one being anti-social, and one being um, awkward. <laughs> so okay. it, one one might be, so the guy might stop and look at you who's making out with the girl and say, what's your problem? Like, why are you looking at us? And so one option might be like, I smell hot pockets. That would be awkward. <laughs> <laughs> so, I love that answer though. Yeah. Fuck, I'm going to say that next time. I stare at people and say, we have great awkward. Yeah. I love it. I'm going to use that. Please do. Yeah. Have, our awkward options are always the best. Like, what's the Wi-Fi password on a date or something? Yeah. So, like, but, um, but, and the, or the other one could be, um, or just says stop and stare, keep looking. And then the other one is, you know, um, apologize and talk to the person next to them or, yeah. or turn them away. So based on what you choose, you go right into that outcome. And we try to make the outcomes as intense, like intensely, you know, consequating as possible yeah. or intensely rewarding as wow. possible. And if it's awkward, it's just hard to read. So we can teach them. This was hard to read because you were probably being awkward. For sure. And then Absolutely. we can have like other options and all that. So, and then after this, we do, um, we offer what's called a unique uh, curriculum. Okay. So if, you, you know, someone has their own specific issues that's not in our standard curriculum, they can contact us. They can tell us what the problem is. We read their case and then we create that that world for them. Whoa, um, that's incredible. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I guess the dream is taking it to real time. So that would be the dream for me. So for basically, sure. yeah, you could just, after you've mastered the standard curriculum, mm -hmm. you can go into a designated space for this uh, with maybe one technician and a therapist and you just wear your packs and you go into the world that's designed for you to practice in real time that's and talk. Awesome. Yeah. Is that like a kind of like a World of Warcraft situation where it's like I, a, it's like uh -huh. a role playing with yeah, a, like, everybody? Just yeah, everything? exactly. Yeah. Oh, cool. So, um, uh, but wow. I mean, yeah, we, we would recommend that you go in with a, a you know an accredited or certified mm -hmm. licensed therapist. Sorry, um, and then after that, you know, after maybe one or two successful trials. That's yeah. wow. That's amazing. I think that's like the future for of sure. Everything, all like, of it, like just fully I, integrating. I, I think into we're that. behind. If you yeah. ask me, like I feel like if this isn't happening right now, yeah. like yeah. You know, then no, like, I get it. It's it's definitely headed there. Maybe not so much for therapy, which is annoying, or for helping, like I said, people in conflicted areas. And, but but, this, but like the idea of creating like a a safe but r ultra real scenario for, for people sure. on the spectrum to like educate get like you know learn about how to be socially accessible i mean that's like yeah. the best thing you can get to actually having like thrusting them into yeah. a real well, environment brock, yeah brock actually he 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 asked me a really good question which i think is worth mentioning which it would be amazing to reverse that and have neurotypicals in there mm. to see what it's like yeah absolutely to be on the it, autistic it, spectrum right for but, sure people just they they do not understand if you don't know someone that has autism or um just ever been around it you just can't understand or relate uh, to, to to individuals that um, you know have this, and so being able to create something like this on both sides, I just I, I find it so fascinating. And you know, I'm a big proponent for Oculus, and I know where that direction is going. It's uh, it's incredible, and so for you to be able to be uh, do this, be a part of it, I, I just. It, Big kudos to you because 
this is where um, these new emerging technologies uh, are going to help transform society in the future and give people a real understanding to how um, we might not all be the same and our brains all might be different, but to really relate and see through that individual's point of view, um, it's, it's, it's what we need. We live in a day with um, you know mass shootings and all this fucking shit yeah. going on, especially in the States, right? And um, it, it just, it, it blows my mind. I had um, a, a client of mine, I cut his, I've been cutting his hair for a long time and um, he, he has Asperger's and uh, really great kid. He's like 23 years old and it was right after um, Saugus uh, High School mm. got shot up and a couple people died. And, and you know, the really fucked up part about it is like, I knew it was going to happen. You know, mm. we all think in Santa Cruz, it's a bubble and it, it, it's not. Life mm. is just, yeah. it's just not that way. And so when it happened here, um, you know, I was just obviously talking about it and he opened up to me in a way that um, just kind of put my mouth on the floor. And he goes, you know, one of one of the big reasons that, um, you know, this happens, um, you know, a lot. And I can just speak from my own experience is um, I remember being in high school and I was that kid in the back of the class. I was the kid that was made fun of all the time. And it was just a select few people that, that made fun of him. But he goes, I remember going home and there was a few times where I really contemplated this. He goes, I wanted to go to the school and shoot that fucking place up. And he goes, the reason was, he goes, for me, it wasn't these individuals hurting me. I wanted everyone to feel my pain. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I you know, for, for me, I, I, man, I mean, I appreciate that he shared mm-hmm. that story with me and it's given me a newfound perspective. And so what you're creating, you know, through VR for individuals with autism, reversing that so people can actually take a peek into this world, it, it's just educating and just, fuck, I, I, mm-hmm. I want these things to be more out in the open. Mm-hmm. Bring this to the front. Let's stop fucking putting a blind eye behind it. And so thank you yeah. so much for doing what you do. Oh, totally. So it's called Social Wise. Yeah, <laughs> check it out. Yeah, no, social wise. Social wise, you know, like socialize, but wise instead. Yeah, <laughs> is, there, is there a website? Yeah, there is. So I'll share it with you. But um, yeah, it's um, socialwisevr.com. Perfect. Um, and uh, right now, it's just being made available uh, for professionals. Okay. Um, but if you want it, you just can you can get it for free through the website right now. If you are a practicing therapist there we go check it <laughs> anyway, out okay so thank you for letting me share that because no, it is really important yeah that was a really interesting me. story and you know, yeah it's important. and listening to you it, you know it it, re, uh, it just makes me think of so you know many of the students that i've helped and you know it's 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 a sad story and it, it shouldn't be like this anymore no and so, yeah, I mean, it just makes me want to do this right now. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I, I get it. But, yeah. Just keep on pushing what you're doing and you'll be able to take this for so many different uh, aspects of life, you know. And uh, thank you for sharing and thank you for, you know, being being a part of this revolution of change. Um, we, we need this. We need people to stand up and say enough is enough, right? Um, so thank you very much. Absolutely. No, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> so handsome man over here. Um, you know, 
the very first time I met you, I was cutting hair uh, at a wedding and I was styling people's hair, right? Yeah, yeah. So you were, uh, it was a mutual acquaintance. It's actually a coworker of mine who I, I think you, you knew him through maybe a, uh, his, his brother-in-law Paul. or something, Paul. And um, and you were cutting his hair on his wedding day. Yeah. And he happened to invite me up to, you know, where he was getting ready and I was I was a cool honor too because you know we hadn't we'd been you know friends for not not a terribly long time but he invited me to his wedding and that and I was excited and I got there and it was really cool everybody was you know drinking and and yeah. I saw him cutting and then um, and then I saw I saw you cutting his hair I don't know how the conversation started I don't either um, <laughs> but this is a love story yeah no, totally. <laughs> it was love at first sight totally, because you start you started um, I, one one thing that to another and, and I was talking to you and. Um, I don't know if it was the. Do you have a necklace that you have like a? a I did. It a was Hebrew a high. Yeah. yeah. And I and I, and I remember seeing that too, and I was like, okay, he's Jewish, and that this is probably going to be a conversation. Yeah. That have. <laughs> but you know, it's. I'm, I mean, I, at this point, at this point in my life, I have you know, I have uh, you know, a ton of Jewish friends, and um, I'm very you know, open and understanding of all sides of, of that topic. So I have, I have nothing against that. But you and I were talking and then we started talking politics. Yes, we did. And you were very, you know, inquisitive and very open. And we started talking about Afghanistan and Iraq and then all the, all the politics. And we were just going off. And I yeah. remember, I remember, um, you know, his name was Jonathan, the, the guy the, the, whose wedding it was. He looks over, he's like, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you, you guys are going to love each other. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, yeah, it's then, so funny. Paul, yeah. Paul said the same yeah. thing before I even went there and I was like, who's Alex? I don't know who the fuck yeah. this guy is. And at the end of the time, we're freaking sitting there bullshit and chatting. It was just, uh, it was love at first sight. So yeah, and then I remember that you were like, you know, they were like, dude, we should totally get a beer together yeah. sometime yeah. And, and talk. And then so it was probably like, I don't know, maybe five or six months later and then, um, and I, and and I was, I'd, I'd finally had, so I've had like, you know, very cheap haircuts my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I, and I, had, I, I, I was in Dallas, um, on like a business trip and I was like, I need to get a legit haircut for this trip. So I, as soon as I land there, I find this, like a, a really nice barber, he cuts my hair and then I realized, wow, there's a big difference between a $20 haircut and like a, you know, $50 haircut. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so I was like, oh, I'm a Brock cuts hair. Let me hit him up. And so I was like, I need a new barber. And so I, I hit you up and I was like, hey, can I come get your haircut? And, um, you know, you have this awesome studio in the Thank back you. of your house. And it's it's like a cool setup. He's got like a, a refrigerator back there. Yeah. He's got beer. He's got like a yeah. second man cave. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, second yeah, man cave. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, the first time we cut our hair, it ends up turning into a two and a half yeah. hour talking session about politics and philosophy. <laughs> That's and so normal. So it was cool, and I was like, "Man, I really enjoy. I really enjoy talking to this guy." But also, I need to make sure I don't plan an appointment after this haircut because yeah. I am not getting out of here anytime soon. So, so it's an ongoing of, story. Yeah. So I just kind of uh, in the future, I was anticipating, you know, okay, I got to be there for two or three hours yes. in America. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yep. But every time we've chatted, it's always been just no. Really it's cool. it's it's been fantastic and. Uh, for me, uh, hair has introduced me to so many amazing people. I mean, we wouldn't be sitting here today, right? I, you know, that conversation stimulated a haircut. And then, you know, not, now we're here, you know, all, all, all this time later. Um, but I always found it fascinating, you know, the stories that you shared with me about, you know, your life, Palestinian uh, and Israeli conflict and um, just geopolitical issues. And for me, I'm a big, you know, I don't know, I, I'm the type of person that I like to get into deep intellectual based conversations. And, um, and it's just how I've been, uh, you know, I guess my whole life. I remember as a kid looking at my father and he would do the same thing. And I'm like, what the fuck is this guy? 
guy doing talking for, you know, three, four hours? <laughs> oh, we know this. <laughs> like, yeah, just on and on. Yeah. That's how we grew up. So obviously yes. it's, yeah. It's something so yeah, the joke, can, the joke used to be like, like, you know, American pastime is yeah, baseball, so. you know, or poker. You'd be like, ours is like. Politics. Politics. Yep. 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 Politics, <laughs> politics, politics, politics. And, yeah. you know, actually, to be honest, it turned me off to politics because of that, because yeah. I was young and it wasn't broken down for me. And I was like, no, 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 no. And then growing, you know, up and understanding it, I, I regretted that, yeah. you know, I wasn't listening, paying more attention. And I felt like that was so that was time wasted almost you know so so yeah i can see why you two can because when you 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 find someone like that or who has that sort of familiarity i guess it's kind of familial Uh that you would connect because it's like yeah yeah and the the, the biggest difference that i think that i found with you and that you know later in my life that is become important is it's not just parroting you know like um like points and sides of like, you know, right versus left. Yeah. It's having a deep understanding of what is actually going on and being being willing and open to talking about all sides. Of, of course, mm-hmm. absolutely. And not just, you know, just sticking to the one side because you can't be right. <laughs> it's me versus you. It's like our side versus your side. And that's just what we, And I mean, not to get into a broader thing, but that's what's going on today. Of course. It's yeah. just like, it is. everybody's just like, my side's right, your side's yeah. wrong, that's it. Of course, and, and no one's willing to just kind of put their shit at the forefront and say, hey, uh, you know, sometimes I'm right and sometimes I'm wrong. It's like you're either left or you're either right, but there's no down the middle, right? In, in, in American politics, right, especially it's like, you know, Republican, Democrat, right? left and it's for for me as i've gotten older it's like that is not how life is it's not black versus white mm-hmm. there's so many fucking shades in between mm-hmm. and I don't care if you voted for Donald Trump, right? I, like at the end of the day, if you are a good person, if you have, um, you know, just that, that what it comes down to is like a good person, a good heart. I don't give a shit, right? I, I can always take something from someone. Um, and we get so stuck into our tribes. It's either this way or that way. And if, just speaking with you, you've opened up my eyes so much to so many different topics, right? Um, really sharing with me what is going on uh, in the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. But, what's going but why on? do you think that you're like that versus others? Who not? Do you think it's your parents that were very open-minded? No. Okay, no. so why do you no. think that you're like that? Because I find that too. People yeah. say that people mm. are, that's a learned behavior, but I don't think so. I think no. our parents were... Yep. Sometimes staunch had these staunch Absol- opinions about that. There were maybe sometimes uninformed even, and yep. we still would fight against that. Of course. But what? What? Why? What is it? Um, yeah. The internet? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but but but, but uh, who, who freaking knows, right? Um, for me, it was the longest for the longest time my whole life. I just buried shit, buried shit, buried shit. Um, if someone called me out on something, it was like fuck you, dude. And then I, I got to this point in my life where I started introducing producing um, hallucinogens, uh, psilocybin, Ooh. LSD. Um, and it really started <laughs> opening. <laughs> Alex's language or something No, but it's true. It's true. That's the thing about, and if, you, if anybody's read up on, you know, how psilocybin works. And I, yeah. I, I remember this was, this was part of, you know, my journey. Psilocybin was part of the journey that I had that really, you know, was it was one part, but it was a very important part of opening my mind and evolving because yes. it gets you outside of your subjective brain where you already have opinions on everything. Mm-hmm. It shuts it down and it makes you able to take a step back and look at things 
at a very objective and outside of your normal perspective. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I go so deep inside and I never, ever, you know, I, I think a lot, I, I'm always have, that's how I've always been uh, second guessing myself probably on, on too much shit. Um, but what psilocybin has done is it's opened up parts of my brain. It's allowed me to look from the outside in at a new perspective on life. And so if you ask me like, well, what's different? Um, it, it's, I don't know if that's what I can point it to, but for sure I can say, you know, my upbringing, it was either this way or that way. Um, yeah, you, you know, my, my dad always preached, um, you know, you, 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 I, I deserve respect um, just because I'm your fucking dad. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who you are. You have to give respect to get respect. And, it, and that's my opinion. And you could think that I am wrong, right? Just because they're your parents. No, you have to meet um, in, in the middle. And I, I <laughs> was put through a lot of shit, you know, um, and I just kind of started making the de decisions early on. And then when I reintroduced uh, you know, psilocybin into my life, um, it, probably 27, 28, I'm 33 now, uh, my brain started to evolve and I started to read more, listen to a lot more podcasts um, and uh, maybe pull away from social media too. I'm not a huge social media person unless it's for business. I'm not. I I just, I'm just not. And so for me, the information that I get is the information that I seek. Right. Um, so that, that, that's kind of how I became, uh, I can't say that's how I became who I am, but that's really when my brain started to change and evolve. And I think it's really important to have an open perspective on life. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm sure people listening to me are like, dude, fuck you. <laughs> so mm -hmm. yeah. how, how do I say this? Um, when we started talking, uh, you know, about the Palestinian and Israeli conflict, I didn't know fucking anything, right? I shared with you that I was going on birthright, mm -hmm. right? And when you started opening your mouth, right, I, I was just kind of blown away about the atrocities that are going on, especially everything that, um, you know, the... the you know, my people, the Jewish people have gone through in their own life um, to be able to cause this on an other, uh, another group of people. Um, growing up, I'm sure you guys, uh, you know, heard it all. Your parent, your dad was an activist. Um, uh, what is going on at this current point um, in the Israeli-Palestinian, Palestinian-Israeli yeah. conflict. And, and I also, you know, I can't say enough about how, like, there is a clear difference between, you know, being Jewish and being Zionist. Yeah. Because the biggest supporters that really make the biggest impact for Palestine are Jewish people. Like, Jewish Voice for Peace is an organization that is one of the most vocal, you know, anti-Zionist organizations that really make an impact on bringing awareness to yeah. what's going on over there. So, and even when I was in college, I was part of student for justice in Palestine, um, I became part of that because I I, I I read in the I read an article in the Sundial. I went to CSUN, and it was an article about what was going on in 2009, which was um, um, it, it, I, I forget what the name. It was Operation Cast Lead, and it was the the first time after having Gaza being under siege that it, that Israel had launched uh, a huge offensive in Gaza and just massacred, you know, I, I want to say hundreds of, of Palestinians at the very wow. least. But 
but I remember reading this really well eloquent article by um, by someone. Uh, his name was uh, Joseph Glatzer, I think, at the time. But in, and so I was like, I gotta meet this guy. And so I I I went over and met him, and he was running a, a Students for Justice in Palestine thing, and he was Jewish, and then he was this white guy, and I was like, wow, that's so cool. Like, and I ended up joining the group, and and it was it was. You know, he he was a bigger advocate than I was at the time because coming from you know my upbringing, you know I was always don't talk about this stuff yeah. too, and I always want to. But and so that really opened my eyes into like how many like who is really fighting for this cause. Yeah. And um, you know, I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, what's going on is, um, you know, there are there are a people for the last I guess the Palestinian people for the last since you could say, 1948, um, who have been living as at, at best, second-class citizens. At worst, prisoners. Um, uh, I mean, it's. I guess. I guess the question is where where to start um, in that in that whole topic. But I mean, if we wanted to start with what's just going on today, I mean, you have people who, you know, they they. I guess they are basically living in an open air prison. Yeah. So yeah. Th- I mean, there's yeah. there's Gaza. Yes. And there's the West Bank, and then there's the refugees. So. You have Gaza right now since 2006, which is uh, an open air prison in the sense that they cannot leave Gaza. They get restricted on what, how much, literally, literally they put on a diet and how many, how much food and calories can come in. They're living in squalor because their their water treatment plants have all been bombed. Their power plants are running at 40 percent or, or less because they can't get fuel, and they're living in absolute squalor and 40 percent unemployment because they are being blockaded on all sides. They're blockaded on the border with Israel. They're blockaded uh, at sea. They can't go more than a few miles off the coast for fishing, mm-hmm. uh, and. Yeah. And believe it or not, they're also blockaded on the Egyptian side because the Egyptian government's just as complicit in this um, in this siege that's been going on since 2000 and I want to say seven, um, which is 12 years. So you have people living in children living in Gaza who are 12 years old who have never ever seen outside of Gaza because they're not allowed to leave. Um, and there have been three attacks on Gaza that have just devastated not only the, the infrastructure, the economy, the morale, the people, but somehow, and I don't know how, they they they, they resist and they, they, they have not capitulated because that's the ultimate goal of this siege is to, is to is to get them to just accept mm-hmm. a fate that whatever given to them you accept it. And they have they have for twelve years have decided that they want their dignity. And they will they will resist, um, and you know when we I guess we can go all the way back to the start of yeah. this whole situation, which yeah. you know 1948. I mean, really 1880 something is when this whole thing started, which was um, Theodore Herzl, who was the um, head of the Zionist Congress. Basically, they were looking for a Jewish homeland, and they went to. Palestine at the time, which was under the Ottoman Empire. It was the region of Palestine or the province of Palestine. And, you know, there are actually, you know, articles and reports of, you know, delegations from this this Congress going out there and coming back and saying, you know, this land already has a people married to it. Like, there's people here. Um, they were looking at, you know, Poland at the time for a potential Jewish state. But ultimately, they settled on Israel and Palestine and making recreating the ancient... Um, country of Israel. Yeah. And um, in, in 1917, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, 1917, the Belfour Declaration, which is a monumental thing because that was at, at you know, towards the end of World War One. it was uh, 
uh, Lord Balfour in, in the UK basically made, he issued this declaration saying that, uh, that Palestine will be a future home for the Jewish people and that they'll, it, it did go into other lengths of saying that they must, you know, live in peace and, and respect the rights of the indigenous people, but that this is a promised land to them now. And they're going to, they're going to be able to build a homeland there. And that's that's a pivotal moment in the Palestinian story because that I guess I, you would say not only indicated what was to come, but it it laid down the the legal framework of this yeah. is you know Britain, which was a superpower at the time, um, saying that we're going to make this happen. And so you know oh, again you, you remember that there was people now one of the arguments that is always made is that Palestinians never never had a country, which is fair they've never had an independent country they've been part of the ottoman empire they've been part of the roman empire it's always been palestine yeah. or mandate palestine or the palestinian people there is has always been a people there named palestine if you want to go back to the bible you've got like the philistines right yeah um but and there's always been that culture of palestinian food of palestinian everything um but Granted, we never had a country, but that doesn't matter. We've always had rights. We've lived in yes. peace. You know, there's always been um, the Palestinian people, yes. and that's where they live. Of course. Um, and so that's been one of the biggest, one of the biggest um, things. Part of you know Zionist philosophy is to kind of erase the identity of Palestinians to try to say that they're just Arabs and they're they're from all over the Middle East. You know, they're just they can go back to another Arab country, but. I mean, imagine you for generations living somewhere and then it's in the United States. You're just always from this yes. area of California. You get expelled, you know, and you say, you know, you go to New York. You can just go live there with the no, New Yorkers. Fuck that. You know, it's like, <laughs> fuck that. It, Nothing's worse than that. No, yeah. <laughs> I haven't lived in that SoCal life. Come on, motherfucker. Time, you know? How dare you? Yeah. No, but it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's so true. And I, I knew that when we started talking and after, you know, we had that conversation that day uh, in my studio um, and I shared with you, I'm going on birthright. Um, and and then I, I started the podcast and I knew that there is a very strong chance um, that me bringing this up, me having you mm -hmm. guys on, and if they listen to it, they're not gonna let my wife and I go. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, internally, I said, fuck that. Because when I looked up everything that you have been talking and fact-checked, everything, not that you're a liar by any means, but, you know, you, you have to, right? You can't believe everything that everyone says. Um, I saw the atrocities that are happening uh, to, to your people, to the Palestinian people. And in 2020, for that to happen to anyone blows my fucking mind. How is there not enough land for everyone to share? Why is there not peace? And there is this ongoing issue in Middle East, but in American culture and American politics, we don't talk about this. Mm -hmm. You know, most people, I would say, don't know what is going on mm -hmm. between the Palestinians and Israelis. Yeah. yeah, and this is something that, you know, growing up, we had to live with because in high school, you know, nobody knows the Palestinian side. So you're like, even, 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 the Arab Arab side in general, like the Iraq War in two thousand and three, yeah. you know they're they're terrorists. We got to go kill them. And and I, honestly, <laughs> I can't. Shit. I can't. I can't. It's hard for me to to you know despise or blame anybody for thinking that way because that's of course the media. The yes. the news says they there's a one sided story that's propagated and it's it, and you know 
I the only reason I think that, and maybe I'd like to think it's different, but the, the biggest reason I know about what's going on is because I had immigrant parents from the region, and I and as everything was going, I could see the lies that were being touted at the time. And but the the difficult part was trying to bring that up in class or trying to make things when you're you're having to be an expert because mm-hmm. you, they have I mean every the Israeli point of view is the mainstream point of view. Yes. So you have to be that much smarter or that much more educated to be able to to go against what to everybody else is common sense or yeah, common nature. And so and so that's what that that's what made it so terrifying. You, you, then you always had like everything to lose. I know. I remember there being a time where I was almost having to and this is in oh god, I was 16. So yeah, this was a junior in high school and I remember in my modern civics class, which I don't even think that exists anymore as old. Probably not. But I remember, yeah, I remember basically having to explain that um, this is an issue of international law and people not being able to understand international law and that it could be mis, it could be interpreted by countries differently and countries could say that, which is what Israel did, that, you know, this is uh, not a law, this is a fact that we have this land and try to explain to people that, well, when you want land, but you don't want the people on that land... (laughs) that come with it, this is the situation you're in. Yeah, and it results in violence. Yes, and and how to break that down even further, I would have no idea. And I remember my teacher having no idea and then just me feeling defeated or like powerless. You're For sure. Kind of, you're just kind of like, all right, yeah, <laughs> I and, give and up. People look at you like you're either crazy or you're a terrorist sympathizer. <laughs> just, I mean, but it's like, not like that at all. And, and I remember just saying like, yeah, like even when the Iraq war came out, it's like, how could you not be, you know, for the war in yeah. Iraq? Those are our troops. They're over yeah. there now. And like, yeah. and just like, no, this is wrong. Like I remember I, marching, I'm going on a march with, with Jen for 2003 and like, you know, when that war happened, that's what I, and that's what I really started understanding and really getting into history and politics because I got to see on TV all these things that were being said that were like, wait, that's not true. Wait, that doesn't sound. Right. And then, and then having to go and look it and research it and then understand it and, and then go through the period of, man, like I have to go out on a limb to talk about this in class uh, for with, with the very likelihood that I will probably be shunned a little bit by yeah. all the people that who at home, you know, are like, yeah, we got to kick yeah. their ass and kick I mean, their gas. It's yeah. so crazy. It's so crazy to think, though, in 2003, you know, 9-11 had just happened, uh, you know, a couple of years prior and flash forward, you know, 18 years, 17 years later. Right. Um, you know, a large group of the population is like, what the fuck are we even there for? Why did this even happen? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and. I have to say, during 2003, when that happened, I was like, fuck yeah, Team America. Let's go fucking <laughs> get the people that, like, what the fuck did they even have to do with it, right? Um, uh, and so uh, just just looking back, you know, I fell victim to that. And because it's easier, though, than trying to have to understand a situation. Yes. Like I was saying, it was it's just so much easier to be like, you know what? Yeah, fuck that. That's not cool. Then to say, wait, wait a second. What? Explain to me more about why we're in this situation. You have to talk for hours and yes. being, like, being and young and I mean, it's not. It's just not. Yeah. yeah. Think about the maturity level, though. You have to be like to go against just <sighs> common knowledge, common yes. fact. Like it's very difficult to unless you had parents who were people who also did that. It's more likely that you wouldn't even think to go against. Not that it's not even about having to be, you know, brave enough to challenge it. It's like, why would I challenge something that's fact? Yeah, these guys are terrorists. These guys are, and, you know, and so then you're telling you're telling them the sky's not blue, and then they're just, they're just like, what are you talking? And then it's a, a cognitive dissonance, and just they, they you know, of course, it's, yeah. it's a problem. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I mean, I. Uh, I learned a lot, you know, in, in college too. I mean, 
coming I, I i had a group project one time with with um this this girl oh I, I was in partnership with this girl i was taking this modern warfare class and we were learning about these um these uh is the lebanese civil war and the israel and the egyptian israeli um war as well and i remember having to do a group project with this girl and she was um she was like a, a typical um i i would say you know Jewish girl who had gone to, you know, Jewish school, who had learned from, you know, Jewish, a a one, a one way perspective on Israel that, and as most Jews, I don't know if you had this experience, but most Jews that I know, and I'm friends with too, but growing up, they have been taught, you know, Israel can do no wrong. We owe our allegiance to make sure Israel is protected and we should, you know, all that. And, you know, like just the, just the sheer, you know, I remember looking at her and she was, this was during the, when Gaza war was going on and Israel was invading Gaza. And she's like, I was, uh, she was like, you know, they're all terrorists. We should just, you know, get rid of them. And I'm like, so you would, I mean, she's like, we should just nuke Gaza. And I'm like, so you would just, you would just nuke Gaza and wipe out, a, 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 you know, almost, almost 2 million people. So you're saying that a Palestinian life isn't worth a, a, an Israeli life. And she's like, no, absolutely not. You fucking kidding she's me? Straight up. And that's when I was really like, but it was, and it was in front of the group too. And everybody heard it and nobody said anything because I think they're all just shocked or also too scared to say anything because the biggest weapon that was always used against anybody who wants to bring up Palestine or wants to at least call out the other side of it or criticize Israeli policy is you're an anti-Semite. It's it, so true. And it's used today in politics. Like, look at Jeremy Corbyn in the UK. Yeah, yep. You know, he's someone who is, is, is a humanitarian for all people. And yes. all, but he's also someone who spoke out for Palestine. Speaker of the House, there was a witch hunt. Or Speaker of the uh, House of Commons, I say. Yeah. There was a witch hunt. And, and labeling the whole Labor Party uh, anti-Semite. Mm-hmm. It's insane. And it's like, and they can still do it. And it's still, like, it's, it's a death knell. And the, the lobby here that's so strong, the Israeli lobby here, and there's, there's books and, and uh, brave people who have written about it, of how, how powerful that lobby is. You, your political career, your uh, per, uh, academic career will be shut down if you, if you, if you wade too far in that, in that Israeli criticism pool. You know? That is insanity to me because how does it get so tied up if you speak out yeah. anything against Israel? Anything you're automatically an, an anti-Semite. Yeah. Like, how is that fucking possible? But it is because you don't hear a lot. No, <laughs> but but you know it works. me being Jewish, it's like, yeah. I, and I'm not religious by any means, you know. Um, uh, but but culturally, you know, my my you know my my lineage and, and all that shit. But I, I definitely was not uh, brought up. I was the Jewish kid, the only Jewish kid on the block who celebrated Christmas bigger than anyone else. <laughs> Um, that's the type of Jew I am. Smart. Yes, yes. Um, and so at, at the end of the day, me, I, I'm able to kind of look from an outside perspective. But I know being younger, I remember anyone said anything about, you know, Israel. It was like uh, like a nail in my fucking heart. It's like, how dare you? Right. And, and now I'm like, well, what the fuck? I mean, we're all human and humans are good and bad, bad and good. And so just because they... They are, you know, a, let's say a Jewish country, Jewish people. A lot of Jewish people live in Israel. That's a fact, right? Um, if you speak out against their politics, mm-hmm. right, right, and the things that they are doing, 
that does not make you an anti-Semite. Right. You're like, there'd be one thing if you're like, you know, um, you know, the fuck you kike or fuck uh-huh. you whatever and said like fucking harsh words. Like, okay, then I could understand, right? But if you're speaking out against uh, straight politics mm. um, and what is going on over there, that does not make you an anti-Semite. And, th- and this is, there's a, there's a dilemma right now, I think, mm-hmm. for the Jewish community because, you know, to be quite frank, the Jewish community has always been on the side of civil rights and always been, yeah. you know, like they were, you know, the biggest proponents of black civil rights in, in for sure. that time here. But it was always that um, paradox that when it came to Palestinian rights, it was like that's where the buck stopped because they were also, like you said, kind of ingrained into we need Israel is us. We are Israel. Yep. And that's not the case. That, but that has not. been that has been what has kept Israel from having to face any consequence because the Jewish community in, in the United States, I mean, they're very, they're a powerful community. And, sure. and what's even more powerful than the Jewish community is the is- Israeli, you know, Zionist community, which is essentially allied with the neocon mm-hmm. um, element of politics out here. And, but the, what's, ex- what's, what makes me hopeful right now is that it's starting, there's starting to be a fissure, but where before in Democrat in the democratic party and the Republican party, no one ever criticized Israel. It was like it was literally you, your career would be shut down. I mean, there's there's documented stories of congressmen or other people losing their jobs after coming out against or saying something negative or criticizing Israel. But but now you have it where the Democratic Party is openly starting to say, hey, we need to have an even hand. And this is like a huge win. Just saying that we need to treat the Palestinians and Israelis even handedly. Yes, yeah, is a huge win for us because mm-hmm. I mean that. That was something that would just never happen. It was always Israel has the right to defend themselves. And that's a ludicrous statement because no no other people, no other occupied people, people yeah. who have no mm-hmm. power are, are not only supposed to, you know, um, it not cause trouble, but also guarantee the safety of their occupiers. Yeah. And if they didn't do that, then they weren't they weren't behaving and they had the right to, to kill them. You know, it's it's a it's a weird cognitive dissonance because on the one on at the same time you have you have Israelis in Israel, are they're both victim and oppressor at the same time yes. in their own heads. Yeah, they are the victim of the Holocaust. They are a victim because all the surrounding countries don't want to deal with them and they they yes. view them as a colonist, which uh-huh. they are, which in this in reality is what they are. But you know, and also at the same time you have. People who have been born in this country as, as, as an Israeli and does they don't they know don't any know. better. Do you don't know anything Israeli, different. You know? Yes, and they just know that oh, there's Palestinians out there who hate our guts. And why do they hate our guts? Because we're Jewish. But yeah. it's not the case. They can't be the victim and the hero no, and leave can't. nothing for the Palestinians. Right. And so no. The Palestinians are both. They have the guilt of being um, exactly. a victim and a, and the terrorist at the same time. Yeah. You know? So it's uh, it's a it's an untenable position to be mm-hmm. in. And they've been in that position really since, I mean, at the very least since the 60s, 67, but really since 1948. I mean, our mom was, our mom's, the reason our mom grew up in a, in a, in a Lebanese refugee camp is because... They our, sieged Akka. Yeah, our grandma, um, our grandparents on my mom's side, they had to flee. 1948 is known as Israeli, Israel independence. To the Palestinians, it's known as the, the Nakba, Nakba or the Great Catastrophe because that's when they were, there was... Um, over 700,000 Palestinians ethnically cleansed from their homes. Holy and they, shit. And, and they would do that by massacring villages. Der Yassin was, was a famous one. And they would publicize that to say, this is what will happen when that. it comes to you. Yeah. And so Palestinians fled, but they were always promised that they would be able to return home one day. 
And that was obviously not the case. That, which yeah. is known as the right of return. Yeah. yeah, the UNRWA, UNRWA, was actually, is a UN organization that was founded to deal with the Palestinian refugee crisis at that time. Yeah. The um, UN uh, Works and Relief Agency, I think it's UNWRA. And so, you know, since then, you've had Palestinian refugees. And then it happened again. And, that, and so at that point, all the Arab countries and Israel, Israel that was better equipped, better financed um, than all the surrounding Arab countries. But w- while this was going on, this uh, the ethnic cleansing, the Arab countries, you know, threw together their armies and, and declared war. They lost. They were not as well equipped and they were not um, as well funded uh, and as well organized as the the Zionist forces. Yes. And so at the end, so just to, I know I'm going to kind of go on tangents. No, 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 you're good, okay. you're good, you're good. Because what, what, what happened at the end of World War II, um, or I should say at the end of World War I, the whole Middle East was just chopped up to the victories. They were just like lines on a map, yeah. basically. Yeah, arbit- they were yeah. ar- basically yeah. arbitrary lines. There was like, it, Britain basically promised Palestine to three different look, p- uh, different um, groups of people. They had the Belfast Declaration, they had the Sykes-Picot Agreement, um, <laughs> and I feel the third one was, but they basically just arbitrarily drew these lines and said, okay, this is going to you guys, it's going to you guys, and this is how it works. And in that same time, um, that's when that's when the British took control of what they called Mandate Palestine. Okay. And that's where, man, that's where, the British were then in control of that area until the end of until a little later after the end of World War II. It was World War II that caused the mass emigration, right? And, For sure. And where European yes. Jews came to Palestine. Absolutely. But the Zionist movement had begun back before then, right? Nineteen seventeen with the Belfast Declaration. And and you you could probably speak to this too, Jen. But you know, it wasn't like. The Palestinians, they were never allowed to own more than like one or two guns a village, right? So they can never, they can never say, oh, because the British were occupying. They couldn't arm themselves. They couldn't arm themselves. But they saw the, they saw this happening after, after some time because there was, you know, the kibbutzes and Zionists coming. And at first everybody, I mean, everybody was fine. But when they started seeing that there was an actual, like a Zionist motive to create an Israel, a, a completely separate country where they wouldn't have rights on their own land, there was protests. They would organize and they'd protest and the British would, you know, throw them in prison or whatever. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, after World War II when it was in earnest that this was happening. The, the Zionist, you know, uh, I guess you'd say the organizers had been for years getting money from, um, you know, the European you know, elite kind of Jewish yes. class. Because this was they, this was what was happening at the time. They were going to create a country there and they were going to do it no matter what. Yeah. Um, the the Irgun and the Stern Gang, these were two um, terrorist groups, Zionist terrorist groups. The, the, uh, I, I forget which one it was. I want to say it was possibly the Irgun. Um, but they blew up the King David Hotel, which had British soldiers in there. Yeah. Because at this time, they were ready for the British to leave. They had what they needed, and they wanted to create an Israeli state. And it was in 1948 when they declared their independence that the actual ethnic cleansing of Palestine happened. And there's a great book by Elon Pop. Uh, P-A-P-P-E, I want to say. He's an Israeli. Okay. And he wrote the ethnic cleansing. One of the kind of lost my train. No, 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 it's fine. You're good. Um, it was, so it was at 1948, the Arab armies lost, uh, try, you know, they got into conflict. The The British had actually decided to partition the land before this happened. And they gave a certain percentage to the Israelis and a certain percentage to the Palestinians. With And they both had to respect each other's rights. After, the, after that 1948 conflict, Israel then captured more of that land 
And it was Jordan that took over what's called the West Bank, and it was Egypt that took over Gaza. Okay. Okay. So the Palestinians at this point they don't have no any terror. They don't have they're, they're either occupied or they're either under Egyptian and, and Jordanian control, or they're under Israeli control. Yeah. Um. So fast forward now. There's other. There's other you know battles and wars going on, but basically yeah. fast forward to 1967, you have that the six day Israeli Arab Israeli yes. war. And that's when Israel launched a preemptive attack on all the surrounding Arab countries, um, you know, Syria, Jordan, Egypt, um, bombed all of the airplanes on the ground. I mean, it was a great wow. strategic maneuver. Yes. They, they said it was it was a, it was a preemptive attack because you know, quote unquote, there was going to be an imminent attack on them. Mm -hmm. That was proven false. Financially backed, also by a lot the U.S. Oh, oh so Israel, <laughs> Israel, Israel wouldn't be able to have done any of this without the backing of the yeah, U.S. And they were using Apache helicopters. Why? Why Why was the U.S. involved in this? Why did they want to be uh, a part of something like this? It's a great question. Yeah. And there's and there's a lot of, there's probably been multiple answers for that. You know, one, one common answer is that, you know, Israel was viewed as the beachhead for the Western mm -hmm. world in the Middle East. Okay. They were going to be the West's foothold there. Yes. You know, but I actually you, believe that to be very true. That would make yeah. a that, lot and, of and, sense. And, 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 you know, you have like um, you have uh, Noam Chomsky. He's a really you know well known yeah. professor who talks about all kinds of politics. But you know that's that's his his take is that Israel is really a pawn of the U.S. and essentially like you know they do they're they're our beachhead and they, they're kind of under like they're the, to the benefit of us for sure. And, you know, but, there's also the fact that you do have this. So John Mershimer and Stephen Walt, they were uh, they were two. You know, pre prestigious professors. One was at like Harvard. One was at Princeton. The head of their departments, and they came together in 2006 and wrote a book called *The Israel Lobby*. Okay. And it it basically details the influence that that lobby has. And the Israel Lobby is APAC and all the affiliated AD, ADL and J and and some all the other ones that, you know, on the one hand, one lobbies for for um, essentially Israel's interests, and they're not they're not listed as a foreign agent, uh, but they can openly do it. And the influence that they had, I mean, they, they even documented that a lot of the reasons we went to the Iraq war was for the, the, that influence of those lobbies. Um, the, 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 you know, the, no other country aggressively spies on the United States. No other allied country in the United States aggressively spies like Israel does. They ha they, 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 Jonathan Pollard, he's a, he's a spy who was stealing nuclear information passing on to the Israelis. You had incidents where hundreds of art students were, po were po or, or hundreds of um, supposed art students or posing as art students going around, um, you know, selling art for, and, and they were students, but they were actually um, found to be uh, working for the Israeli spies, spies in the Mossad. You had, <laughs> I mean, so fucking crazy. There, there's, there's countless stories of, of Israeli spying going on here and also of, I mean, just blatant, bri you know, bribery. Like the like the information that we got when we went to war with Iraq, we ended up finding that there was the same department, the naval department. We were getting the information for the Iraq war. Um, we 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 captured two Israeli spies and imprisoned them from there. But yeah. this is this and is what I, this is everything is on. on the hush. This is to drive the point home, right? Yes. In 1967, and this is something you can absolutely look up: the USS Liberty. And in 1954, the Levon Affair. These were two incidences. The Levon Affair, let's start there. Israelis posing as Egyptians in Egypt um, attacked a U.S. embassy, tried to bomb it, and they were caught. And those were Israeli agents because they wanted to try to get Egypt or the U.S. to go to war with Egypt. That's 
fucking crazy. They were released and they like or they were imprisoned for a while, I imagine. Like, oh, but it wasn't in, in 1967 when that Six Day War was happening. They tried to do the same thing, and they and they actually attacked the USS Liberty. Yep. For, I want to say, ten hours or some ridiculous amount, killed U.S. soldiers, killed, um, and 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 just almost completely obliterated the ship. Like it's to the that that. Ship and the and the troops that were on that trip, the uh, the servicemen on that, that trip, it's to their credit that they survived that that yeah. attack. They were attacked for hours, and Israel said that they had no idea that wasn't a U.S. ship, but it was well Bullshit. marked. It was well Bullshit. marked, and they wanted to sink it and blame it on the Egyptians. And so again, like this is something that the Johnson administration covered up. Why? Right? Why? 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 Countless times over so, and over I mean, and, and over and again. Spo- you know, catching spies here, catching you know, like overtly killing U.S. ships. The question is why. And you know that it comes to is it is it because the Israeli government has too much influence over the U.S. or is it that there's a cabal in the U.S. that wants us to to support the Israeli government at all costs? Okay, and I'm sure it's both. You For know sure, what I mean? a little bit of both, right? Yeah. What are the ends? I mean, it's you know Israel has been an aggressor state to its neighbors. It's invaded Lebanon. It's invaded you know um, Egypt. It's invaded. It's invaded every single country since. It's basically a Spartan state. They, it's just every everyone has to serve there. It's yeah. And, and everybody's on edge because they're constantly Always. surrounded yeah. by Arabs. Right? In Sparta, it was the same thing. Every all the Spartan, um, all the Spartans were constantly surrounded by slaves who they you know they had to also, yes. also always be on edge. You know, and so you know it's the, and that's where that paranoid you know um, mentality comes from. But at the end of the day, I, I don't I couldn't tell you for sure why. We I support them. Let me just give you one more example. Okay. So we're we're all over, we're all over Russia's ass right now yeah. because we're saying they interfered in our in our elections and they're meddling in our affairs. Now, right? do you believe that? Well, I don't. I, I I to to the extent that we're led to believe they are, absolutely not. I don't think they are. But I you know I could be wrong. But I don't believe that they. I, I tell you, I don't believe that they caused Trump to win the election. That's what I believe. For sure. Um, I think that that was there was um. A lot of other reasons Hillary lost that election than Russia. I, I would absolutely agree with that. But but we launched a full scale investigation. We're ready to impeach, convict, everything, because of this. Because supposedly they influenced the elections by what buying ads or yeah yeah they, they, or whatever. Yes. But but how could you? I mean, when you look at the comparison to how how another country, let's say Israel, has interfered in U.S. politics and decision making, and and when when Obama was was negotiating the Iran deal. Um, the the most vocal, the only really the only country in person specifically who was against this deal was Netanyahu, who was the prime minister yeah. of Israel, and he actually came behind Obama's back without because Obama did not want him to come visit Congress. He okay. came, visited Congress, gave a speech about how Iran is a threat and how Iran should we, they, that that they should absolutely not make this deal, and lobbied against the president's own initiative to make this deal, and he did that with a standing ovation. In Congress. Yeah, absolutely. I remember that. Because that's how much that issue is a nonpartisan issue and how much control or influence that another government has on our politics. And and now you fast forward to today. What, 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 what does that have to do with uh, Russia not interfering with U.S. elections? Well, mm. I mean, because we know that we do it. I mean, so many other you know nation states yeah. do the same exact thing. Um, so to say that they... Uh, you know, allowed or made Trump win the presidency when obviously Hillary Clinton was a very flawed uh, candidate. But, you know, absolutely, that's a proven fact. Um, but 
Mm. What is your thoughts? Uh, because then you start talking about Netanyahu and, and all of that. Uh, you don't believe that they were a part of it, Russia was a part of it, or they didn't great, do it, or is it all just a bunch of bullshit? I think, I think that we don't really care that, that the Russians did what they did. We, we absolutely know what they do. We have the NSA. We know yes. what the hell's going on. We just wanted to use it as, uh, I mean, not just we, I mean, let's say the Democratic Party. For sure. Want, you know, is using that as, because it's something that they can hype up, that they can blow out, you know, mm-hmm. blow up. Absolutely. Because Russia's the enemy right yeah. now. Yeah. And use it as a political tool to defeat Trump, you know, Absolutely. or take him down. Yeah. And, and as we know, it didn't like do a damn thing. Which is like out of all the things he's done. <laughs> no, and that's the craziest <laughs> that's thing. That's the crazy <laughs> Even the Ukraine <laughs> thing. With, right. Yeah, with the impeachment process and all of that. Yeah. It, it just blows my mind that this is what <laughs> they're trying the to push that. so hard on when there's so many other things, just like the fucking emoluments clause. Like, it just blows my mind where it's like, yeah. that is a way bigger deal, you know, being a president. Yeah, and actually the Republicans could say what you just said and go, hey, we didn't, uh, you know, like, you know, come after this person. There was no consequence for them. Yeah, oh yeah, and that's what I'm saying. They They could point to like... that, but they just don't care. Yeah, Yeah, because because the the Democrats and Republicans, politicians, they only want to talk about the things that they they want to talk about. Yes. They don't want to ever have to mention a real issue. Like if someone just said what you were saying, like, oh yeah, well look at Netanyahu. Just, they don't want to bring attention to that. They don't want to equate that with anything because the fact of the matter is, and what I was trying to make the point was made, they clearly don't have an issue with foreign powers influencing us as long as <laughs> they're, it's they're the people that are paying them. You know, the people that are... For sure. And I think it's uh, both-sided with both parties. You know, they pick and choose what they want to get behind what they don't want to get behind what they don't want to get behind. But just... You know, looking back at the past of of the, you know, just Israeli movement in U.S. politics and what's going on in the Middle East, um, you know, obviously I'm not a specialist to say, uh, you know, exactly what the fuck is going on, but what I can see, what I can read, um, and just kind of what we've been talking about, where the hell does this go? How does uh, this change. I know that we've talked about in the past, you know, uh, just kind of the movement that's happening in America at this current moment. Mm-hmm. Um, is that enough to push the tide down the road or, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Both of you. Well, I think like, I think, um, I would say I've had a lot more hope and rebirth and hope in just the last couple of years with like the BDS movement mm-hmm. coming up and, and having other organizations recognize us like like Black Lives Matter, yes. Dream Defenders, mm-hmm. you know, uh, people are out there and politicians like Mark Lamont Hill, mm-hmm. who got mm-hmm. fired for speaking out for our, right. you know, but stuck That's to crazy. his, you know, agenda of awareness. Um, I think I've, I've had a lot more hope. I'm seeing a shift and a turn in in a really bizarre way, like, you know, um, almost like, you know, Vice making a documentary yes. about Ramallah DJs, wow. you know, things like that, you know, stuff like it's almost become oddly a hip thing, which is also scary because then I worry, <laughs> is this a fad and it's going to fade away? Yeah. It's just cool to be interested in mm-hmm. Palestine. Right? But regardless of that, I think it's coming with youth. Mm-hmm. And when I visited Palestine in 2008, even yeah. versus 2011, I saw a completely different place because maybe of social media, maybe of theirs, but of, of the youth there mm-hmm. rising up with their talents and their voice and starting really amazing bands and having incredible exhibitions. And they've created this amazing movement now that yes. has surpassed all of this sort of 
you know, murky political agendas, and it's becoming more powerful yes, it is. than government Absolutely. and more powerful than politics. And, and just so she was saying BDS movement, that's the boycott, divest, and sanction movement. Um, and, that's, and that's purely grassroots. And that's just appealing to artists, appealing to people to just say, to do what, South, what, what we did against South Africa, which is just boycott them and say, you yeah. know what, we're, not, we're no longer going to do business with you until you can respect human rights. Absolutely. It's, it's, the, it's this young, uh, like you said, grassroots, grassroots movement that's happening all around the world. Um, every, everyone from there to Hong Kong, um, people standing up. Um, and it's a lot of young kids who, uh, who have grown up in in this uh, digital age where um, information is crossing boundaries in ways we could have never imagined. Absolutely. And yeah. for, for me, I'm a huge proponent for the internet. Yes, there's been a lot of bad shit, but there's been so many amazing things. And it is this younger generation that I have uh, strong hope for, uh, for all different issues all across the globe. So it's a, it is a, a scary but very exciting time that we're living in. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely feel, like I said, you know, I don't know how hopeful I am, where this can go. I don't believe in a two-state re- solution, which we could talk okay. about. Yeah, later. I yeah. think that's... Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, and that's a problem because that's going to incite a lot of violence and, and this moment might go on forever and ever and ever. But that said, I do see, you know, the, the rising of our youth mm-hmm. and also on the side of, of Israel, as well, a lot more, a lot more people are saying, "I won't serve in the army and wow. going to prison for it." Well, and you know, one and of the things incredible. over there that's going on right now, and it, and it, it's weird how I mean, I want to say weird, but it's so interesting how um, all over the world, like you were saying, there's grassroots movement coming up, yes. and there's also fascist governments coming up, yeah. and right wing <laughs> at the same time. So it's like the world is polarizing too. Yeah, and like one of the things that I cr- I think can can partially there's two things I think really credit the 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 kind of the you feel the feel that the tide is starting to turn to people to recognize what's going in Palestine. You know, one of the things that really broke through the psyche of a lot of people was just the indiscriminate killings in Gaza that went on in 2014. And, and that was just like, listen, it's really hard to defend, like, you know, and you're bombing a Apaches school. and yeah. jets. Yeah. yeah, just bombing just schools, chil- chil- yeah. you know, schools with children, hospitals, whatever, like just bombing civilian areas indiscriminately. And that was a big thing. And the other thing is now it's 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 this marriage that's going on politically between Netanyahu and Trump that really removes and both of them in America, yeah. Trump doing the same thing of removing the facade of yes, it does. of of what's really what our government really is, which is a, just a, a corrupt you know debauchery. Like he he that's the one thing I can respect about Trump is that he just he's just you know doing his thing um, openly and without shame. Absolutely. And, and he really removes that face. And same thing with Netanyahu. And now it's become, and in, in, in the government over there, it's become, and you've had like, what's, what's that actress's name from The Professional? Oh, I don't know. You know, the, um, you know, she was I on know? Star Wars. Uh, I don't know. You know, she, you know, she's, oh man, she. she's oh, Natalie Portman? Natalie Portman. Ah, yeah, okay. Yes. <laughs> so, so she even came out and spoke out against the, the uh, Israeli government too. And she's a Zionist. And I think, I don't know if she was born over there, but she's, she's Zionist. But she spoke out because, and many of them are starting to speak out specifically against Netanyahu, but like they passed a nation state law, which actually codifies that Jews are treated superior than Palestinians. Like they're that's becoming insane. more overt about it now. And that's making people uncomfortable because at least before they could pretend like yeah. the racism didn't exist and the apartheid didn't exist. But now that, you know, the faces that is that the racism, you know, here is being lifted off yes, the mill and the racism in it. And there's and there's those two movements are kind of coming together where now you actually have like the Democrats who can associate and understand a little more about of what's course. going on over there because it's going on here. Yeah. And now and now there's that 
willingness to challenge. And that's what it's not in the Republican Party. I'll tell you that. No, it's no, of course, Democratic of course Party. not. Absolutely. And, but it, it which is, tends to be the liberal side. For sure. And they're willing to look at it now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Like you're saying, the veil is definitely coming off uh, with Donald Trump becoming the president. <laughs> you know, just speaking here in the United States of America, uh, we see things uh, as, that we've never seen before. Um, and he is just very, you know, kind of open about a lot of his shit. Um, but what it does, it allows us to take a peek into what is going on. And I, I, I really believe um, that uh, regardless if he wins or not this next election, um, you know, this, this, this younger generation is uh, in America, in Israel, Palestine, the Hong Kong, are really going to start to see what the fuck is going on and just all the stories and just really the information that they'll be able to get online, uh, they're going to stand up. I, at least that's what I like to believe. And it's just things that I'm seeing. And yes, you're right. Fascist governments are popping up. Um, and it, it is, uh, it's a very weird time. Um, but, 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 I, but yeah, but, it, but, but it feels good, but let's just hop right back into it. Um, you know, growing up, uh, being a Jewish American, you, uh, for me, I always heard, you know, one state, two state uh, solution. And, uh, you know, for me, it was like, OK, well, that, you know, I, I don't fucking live there. I, 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 I don't really know. So anything that I say, um, you know, is is irrelevant. And I guess for the longest time I was like, well, why doesn't a two state solution, you know, work out? Why can't uh, two people, um, you know, just get their shit together and, and get along? And it's. Uh, I, but I don't understand. I didn't grow up, you know, with the parents that you guys grew up with. I didn't grow up with, uh, just a, a lot of those, uh, those, those scenarios in my own personal life. Um, so, you know, Jen, when you said, you know, I don't think a two state solution, uh, is going to work. Right. Um, I, I want to know why, because just kind of paint the picture. Cause I really don't understand, uh, you know, one state solution, two state solution, uh, my, my guy is like, well, why can't two people get along? Right. But these are two fucking countries. Right. So it's a lot different than two people. Yeah. I, well, it's such a good question because I can only go based again of my experience being there and seeing, um, a state not willing to dignify people enough to live with them, not yeah. withdraw from the occupied territories that they're taking, not, not prepared to, take out military control, not prepared to give anything back that they've already had, and not willing to, um, you know, acknowledge their rights. So why, you know, I think is, you know, I, I mean, I could just simply put it and say, you know, they don't, they're, they're never going to give that up. And they don't want that is the simple answer. They yeah. don't, they don't want a two-state solution. There has been so many meetings, especially Yasser Arafat, who mm -hmm. I think came the closest to this, yeah. um, to create a, what we deemed was fair by simply saying you just don't get to annex more land and you have to give up, you know, military control of our people and, you know, give wow. us yeah. our rights. Not, not even asking for the return back. Yeah. I mean, you got birthright. Yeah. We, we can't yeah. go. Our parents no, can't go home. That's yeah. so fucking crazy so to me. Like, you can't, they can't go there. You right. can't go home. Like, and to think this is not in the agreement even, but it's not nothing that they want, are prepared ever to agree to, to giving absolutely. us. Absolutely. Abs so abs absolutely. I can only say that much, but if there is a deeper reason behind that, 
I would think maybe you you, you might be better. Well, uh, here's the, the, to understand first of all, like w- the whole, you have to understand why two state solution would no longer work. You have to understand how they got to where we are today, which is like basically if I when I mentioned earlier about 1967. That was the second time. That was a, that was a six day war, and they took over the West Bank from uh, from Jordan, and they took over the um, Gaza Strip from Egypt, and they took over the Golan Heights from Syria. Wow. They completely dominated this war. There was other, there was another there was another war after that um, called the Yom Kippur War, where you know it was between uh, Egypt and Syria, but that's not that's not in relation to really what's going on with the Palestinians. Okay. So, um, so. So at this point now, it was 1907 when the whole term occupied territories came because when the Israelis took over the West Bank and they took over the Golan and they took over the Gaza Strip, those were now the occupied territories of Israel and they became internationally legally occupiers of a people. Yeah. And the UN passed a resolution, they passed two resolutions, um, uh, resolution 242 and I forget the other one, but these are resolutions basically requiring that Israel retreat back to pre-1967 borders and let the Palestinian people have their land back, become Wouldn't unoccupied. Makes sense, right? It was, that was, that was passed by the UN and ratified. Um, and that never happened, right? So, but the whole thing was okay. Well, let's figure out the peace process. We got to have peace between the Palestinians and Israelis. So, let's yeah. have them amicably work it out. Because the U.S. again, they don't—they're the enforcers of the UN. I mean, up until you know, For even sure. now, if they don't want something to happen, something doesn't happen in the UN. Yes. Okay. And and Israel and the UN had a very close. Uh, sorry, Israel and the United States a very close relationship. Is uh, you know, over the last couple decades. You know, almost every resolution that would condemn Israel's like you know um, occupation or their settlements or whatever has been vetoed by the United States and the in the, uh, the UN. So they have that protection. But but fast forward, so understanding that that there's the occupied territories, right? Yeah. And then you have to understand that in is it starting around in the 80s, the Israelis who again they're they're, they're supposed to you know this is occupied territory. They're one supposed to oh during the 97 war another 450,000 uh, refugees were created. Um, from the West Bank, and others were given Israeli citizenship, and others were staying just as residents of the West Bank. Okay, um, but four hundred fifty thousand were expelled, and so that that further worsened all the refugee you know camps all over the surrounding Absolutely, countries. Absolutely, for sure. And the other, just as a side note, like the refugee camps, they're not ever they're not given citizenship in those countries, so they're just without. So a they're just like nomads, no country, exactly. nothing, stuck in this in this international in this limbo, in exactly. this fucking limbo. And that's why wow. they get they have no rights in all the countries in Lebanon and other places. Like I know, but Russia. again, that brings that I. International law. Yeah, yeah. It's it, 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 these, it's so poorly um, designed so that countries can get away with doing this. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I feel like Israel has used that as their tactic time and time again to prove that they ha- are within the rights of international law to be so, quote unquote governing mm-hmm. these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Command, command and conquer, command and conquer, and it's just uh, it's just fucking crazy. But getting to you know back to the point, to you know two state solution. Um, in theory, it sounds like a great idea, but uh, what it sounds like is that it's not. Uh, it's very one sided. Yeah, and I'll, I'll kind of fast forward through the whole thing. But what I was saying is that the settlements were starting to be built in the eighties, right? So settlements are basically um, Israel bringing in. Israeli Jewish citizens onto the land of Palestinians that where they live they'll under under auspices of you know not having the right permits or whatever they'll destroy the Palestinians home and build an Israeli settlement on that area so they have built so over the course of the last 30 years 
they've been building settlements, moving Jewish settlers into the land on the on the homes of Palestinians. On you know whether it's moving into their home directly and just yeah. taking it over, or demolishing it and then building a brand new settlement, and then you know taking all the water resources and to, you know and then and then then they have a checkpoint from every settlement. This is what the West Bank is. We hear about these checkpoints. They have you know if you want to if you want to take your kid to the hospital, you have to go through maybe two or three checkpoints. You have to or, get a visa. Why? You, yeah, you have to get a certificate. So if you're Palestinian, you have to get a visa. You have to go through checkpoints. Yes, your life is is just a constant humiliation because every day you're reminded of the occupation. Mm-hmm. If they, you know, there's uh, there's cases of women having to give birth in their car because they can't get to a hospital because of the checkpoints. You know, that's insanity. Um, you know, it's just a complete militarized security state throughout all these occupied territories. With and then you know, Palestinians being further further driven into like reservation status, yeah. and that's that's kind of what and that's and that seems to be the de facto or like the ultimate goal of the Israeli state is to just have all of it and stick Palestinians in these reservations. And where are they going to go? Like, what, what, where do they have to go? They just let these people uh, just live like nomads and huts and... Well, more like, but, more like prisoners. Like we were saying, they give them jobs for very low pay. They, they're like modern day slaves in some of these camps. And it's, the Israelis just allow it? Well, they, well, I mean... They, you mean the Israeli the citizens? Yeah. I'm sorry, the Israeli citizens as as a whole. A just, lot of them don't know right. what, what's okay. going on. They're so protected from that. They're mm-hmm. so shielded from the reality of it. A lot of them, when you say, um, I know when I was visiting with friends in 2011, and they were like, I just want to hop over to Tel Aviv and mm-hmm. you know visit a friend of mine or something. I'd be like, okay. Right. Um, and they would go and they would talk to their friends there, and they'd be like, oh, I'm staying in Bethlehem with my friend, and they're like. <gasps> Why would you go there? Like they were like, we've never been there. We would never go there. Wow. And they're like horrified. And she's like, no, it's like totally fine. But yeah. she she was so shocked. I'm shocked too. Yeah. And and then I would go myself into Jerusalem, and the process of that being you know also humiliating as American because yes. I have a Palestinian name and I'm on the register, and they know your whole family. They just stop you then and there, and that's a process. But after that, going in there and realizing, you know, some of the Palestinians that were born there have never even been to the West Bank. They don't know they unless they're know. told or wow. they see it for themselves. But it's heavily monitored. Hey, so can you leave? Now they- so, no, you can't. But they, but you can't go necessarily in and out of the occupied territories. Like, Could you get an airplane to fly out like a Palestinian come? No. You know, no. No, Palestinians, they have no control over their airspace. They have no military. I mean, that's the misconception. When you think there's two countries. It's not a country. The, the Palestinians don't have a military. They have what security forces that the Israeli government allows them to have to monitor some of their own people. Okay. But that's it. They don't have – that's why they only have guerrilla tactics and, you know, yes. you know mm-hmm. more um, – you know, un- unconventional warfare. And, and and that's what, you know, in, in the United States, uh, when those things happen, it's a terrorist attack yeah. and things of that nature. Um, that's happening. Uh, I don't know, I guess I'm asking, it, that, is that happening because just everything has been stripped away from them um, that they have to resort to, uh, you know, guerrilla style, you know, style tactics and Well, terrorism. that's the thing is that, like, they, yeah, they don't have the ability to fight in like a modern way. And every time there's a they've, they've tried to organize peacefully, that's also met with violence. Okay. So like even now when there's peaceful protests there, you know, you, you, the, you have Palestinians who are imprisoned for organizing them. You know, like I mentioned my dad. They're also like they, just yeah. getting killed. It's, They're getting shot at. Like the doctor, yeah. you know, she was just, um, you know, on-site medic and they shot her in the chest. I oh, just, and now it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's gotten so this? worse. who is this? Um, uh, Rima something, I think. But the thing is, so there's, the thing is, we see this because we see what the, the posts that come out of the Middle East because there's, okay. we're friends with on Instagram and we have like we follow the, the news articles that you know will show you 
the actual other side of what's going on, which is, you know, Palestinians are, are shot in cold blood. They're just on a, moving Really like a daily basis without any, without any repercussions. A Palestinian could throw a rock at uh, a tank and he can get years in prison. A child can't. They, they imprison children. My gosh. Um, and, and, that's, and they don't give their parents the right to be with them when they're, when they're detained. In court or and anything. people are just revolved through the prison system there um, as a natural part of life. Okay. Um, and, and, and so the thing is, and on the opposite side, you know, the Israelis, they can, like, they can shoot a kid and it may never even be investigated. Or if it is, he may only get six months in prison with parole because it's a, it's a, it doesn't in like, like that girl I mentioned, they don't treat Palestinian life the same as Jewish life over there or even Israeli life. You could even be Arab Jewish over there and it's still frowned upon, you know, called Mizrahi Jews. Okay. Because... It's really just become like the, the, the ruling classes in, in Israel are descendants of Russian and Eastern European of white, yeah. of white, uh, you know, areas. And so they also kind of have this this ingrained hatred of Arabs and racism that's only gotten so much worse. There. I mean, then you have the politicians that are openly racist um, over there and say that, you know, um, Palestinians just give uh, Palestinian mothers give birth to snakes, you know, and that's like a like the head of the justice system saying that. You yeah. Know? And, and no one does anything. No one says anything. It's- in, in the West Bank, there was this kid. I forget his last name, but this, the whole family, their house was set on fire by terrorists with them inside. And almost the whole family. Um, uh, died and and one of the, the one of the family members was a toddler and it was burned alive you know and the, and the and the settlers were finally brought in and they were tried and they got like they got maybe a year uh, and then they got let out early and the, yeah they had early release they and only served six months why and you time. had chance you had chance Ali is burning on the grill like just like openly just taunting the family that burning their toddler alive and it was just okay and <sighs> but that's because again they don't they don't acknowledge. Them as like human so, beings. So, so, so this is why I guess. But this is not that's all. why they is that why the Palestinians have to resort to these well, whatever tactics because it's just enough is enough, right? I mean, if I, I mean it's hard to, if you put yourself in that position, what would that's, you do if your yeah. life was uh, you know just nothing to live for in a lot of cases? Then yeah, you're gonna be you're gonna act out of desperation. Of course, but you know there are organizations that are. Um, trying to and, and Jewish yeah. Israeli organizations that are trying to bring the truth out. So you have Bet Salem that is that their entire mission over there is to document you know war crimes and so and they're targeted wow. by the government but they're getting more and more heat. But they exist. You have breaking the silence, which is um, former Israeli soldiers coming out and speaking about what they did and what happened in the no way. territories. Yeah, so change. So you have yeah. it, but 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 the thing is, it's changing almost. It, the pressure against those groups are becoming bigger over there. Over there right now, it's actually also even a slander just to be called a lefty. Like it's even the thought of that you would like, like right now they're going through some big political like situation because they don't have like, they can't form a government because, because Netanyahu's uh, been indicted for bribery and corruption. Yeah. He's a corrupt, um, you know, for those, for those, for those reasons, he's, he's being indicted. Um, and you have the other parties who, who there's like certain religious parties over there that just don't want to work with um, other parties. And you have certain parties that won't work with Netanyahu specifically. So they can't form a government there right now. Um, but um, the problem is, is that they could form a government. One, all, all one party has to do is, is allow the Palestinian um, members of parties yeah. to be part of that government. But that's unthinkable <laughs> that happen. not even to form a government would they, would they ever think of allowing the, 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 you know, the few Palestinian members of the Neset, over the mm-hmm. Knesset over there, is what they call their Congress, 
to, to ever consider them actually being part of a government because they're Palestinians. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, so I think to answer your question, they're just yeah. not willing. Yeah. Absolutely. And the why is, you know, just because I think they, they try, they're going to try till the day that they die to, you know, acquire all of that land and just For sure. have their own state. And mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, it does sound like, uh, you know, like these different organizations and mm. the things that are happening in America um, and just people being more... Uh, aware of the atrocities, you guys coming on and talking about this, right? right? Uh, Putting it out to the world, right? And I do keep on bringing this up. That is why I had you come on because, um, you know, there were times like, am I talking too much or whatever? Like, no, 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 fucking talk, you know, because that's what this is all about. Back to your story is about your story. And we all have a story. And with everything that's going on in the world, um, I, I just want people uh, like the both of you to come somewhere and share and, and, and hopefully, you know, people are listening and they can take nuggets from this so that um, in the coming generation, uh, in decades to come, things will change. This is what I like to hope um, because if not, because if I am wrong, then all of this is going to go to shit. You know, it's all going to go to shit for the Palestinians. It's all going to go to shit for the Americans. It's all going to go shit for for everything, right? And so um, we, uh, as a society, need to not take a blind eye to actions like this. Uh, but it is very scary when you do have um, a government that is uh, kind of uh, closing the, the putting a veil over this uh, to their uh, to their citizens. And if they um, don't fully know what the fuck is going on, um, I, I do hope that uh, you know the organizations. What were the two that you brought up again? Uh, Bet Salem. Bet Salem. Yeah, it's like it's B apostrophe T C E L E M. I think is how you spell it. Okay. And then uh, breaking the silence. Yeah, yeah. The, the you know organizations like that can make a change, but I don't doubt that they're taking a lot of pressure, um, uh, you know, from from the Israeli government. Um, to to you, they're they're a Zionist. What 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 is a Zionist? You you brought it up. So if people don't know, I would like for you to share. Yeah, uh, bit, I mean, I guess the simplest, you know, um, the simplest version of what a Zionist is 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 the the belief that um, the land of you know historical Palestine should be a Jewish um, you know centric nation. To the exclusion of its other citizens, yeah. non-Jewish citizens, for sure. Uh, yeah, that 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 that, that makes sense. Um, and so, you know, even just kind of looking at Americans, what the hell does it mean to be American, right? Mm. You know, so many time and time again throughout, uh, you know, civilization, um, it's been this command and conquer, command and conquer. Because as American citizens, this isn't even our fucking land, too, right? Um, but. I, I, I just it just fucking racks my mind that this whole two state solution, um, you know, can't work. Uh, but but it's if someone doesn't <laughs> want it to work, um, then obviously it's never going to work. But I am hopeful. I am hopeful, and that's all. So, I can so be. yeah, and so that that's like the predicament, right? Because you know the two state solution. Because the, the the reason why we would say that you know they don't want it to to work is because they would never want like. I mean, they one believe that the whole of Israel, the former Israel, should be one, should be Judea and Samaria, like they should be part of their country, yeah, um, and they should rule over it. And um, but on the other hand, 
here's the here's the thing. So like, the, so they wouldn't ever allow that viable Palestinian state there other than these reservations. But then what's the other option, right? So then you have okay. So the, you don't want a two state solution. Okay, what about a one state solution? Yeah. What about you just grant us mm-hmm. rights? You know, that's For like sure. mm-hmm. like just say okay. You know what? Have the name Israel. We just want to be treated like humans, yeah. and you know, let's just have rights and give you know give the Palestinians the vote. Um, and that's a big problem because Palestinians are, you know, Arabs being, this is, you know, Palestine, they're the majority, yeah. not even including the refugees because they still wow. haven't given the right of the refugees. They won't even consider that, which is international laws, the right mm-hmm. of refugees to return to their homeland. And these refugees for, you know, decades have never been allowed to return. So they have no homeland, no rights in these other and countries. And no one enforcing those laws. And no one enforcing. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and exactly. So there's no one enforcing. Wow. So. So, um, but that's the other problem is that, you know, okay, so you give the Palestinians vote, they have the majority now. I mean, they're going to, they're going to pass laws that are, you know, maybe not only favorable to just the, you know, that elite that are already there, yes. right? Yeah, of So course. it's, um, it's, it, so then where, what, what solution is there? That's why the status quo has been the status quo for so long, because that's what, the Israelis are okay with. They're okay with their people here not having rights, yeah. being quasi people that they can not have to like, you know, they can have a cheap labor force because they control their entire living. Um, and then, you know, even the, and the, the fifth of the population that they allow to have citizenship in Israel, which are fifth Arab, um, they basically just shun them and say, okay, well, you get to pretend like you're part of the government, but you're not really, mm-hmm. you know, so it's just a show. Like, a one state solution is scarier for them. And so it's scarier for them. That, that's that's yeah. why they're in a real crisis right now, the crisis of like, it's almost like an, when they say existential crisis, I mean, yes. it's part of why they're at war so much is because they need to be focused on something. Because when you actually come down to it, like they can't have any settling. They have to have just complete war domination because if you come down to let's work this out, it's give up the majority or have a, a, a split up the country and have two and yeah. equal states. Yeah. Ah. And it's and not give up acceptable. what you've taken. And give up what you've yeah, but a two-state solution would, I, I mean, just from the outside now looking, it would definitely sound better if they don't want to give up their rights, like fucking split that shit. But it, it, it's... it's and oh. so, it's, but, but let me ask you this, though. Why, if you think... If, so you're thinking, yeah, the two-state solution would be the better option, right? Because then you well, just... Well, no, no, no. Hold, well, go, no, but let's just say that's, that's, the, that's like the thought right there, yeah. right? Well... I, I I would agree. I would say, yeah, why not? You can have you can have a majority. Just yes. give it two equal states, and you can have your own state. Do whatever you want with it. Whatever. For sure. But why then would you, um, if you're actually trying to negotiate that in earnest and try to come to a real amicable because that's what the whole peace process was about. Why would you through that whole time continually build settlements and put the Jewish people? Into the land that you're you're supposed to be giving back at the end of the day, it makes no sense. No, no, right? it doesn't. It's, Probably it's, because if there ever does come a time and it's a two state solution, there'll be such small land for the Palestinians um, and all this land for the Israelis. I mean, that's the only way that I could think. At it's, just kind of on the brink of the moment, right. um, but but uh, you know. You know, history, 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 history will tell uh, in uh, many years to come what the yeah. heck is going to happen. Only learn from histories we don't learn. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's it's a it's a it's a tough situation. It's sad for all parties in that because you know I think that. And it's almost a class thing too that you know even if 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 shit ever hit the fan over there the wealthy could go back to other countries that there's some dual citizenship and the, it's the it's the people like the people that can't leave of course that are that are the ones who bear the brunt of the yeah. problem you know well that's how it happens all the time always always uh, growing up um, your parents talked a lot about this they were open about it or I was, our dad would talked a lot about yeah. this because he's, he's kind of a historian like he, mm-hmm. he he's a big history buff and it was something that, it was a point of pride for him to be able to be able to kind of explain the history yeah. for sure I would 
I mean, I do think my mom talked about it, but she talked about it in a very, on a more personal level, like her experience as a refugee child, you know, and how uh, she dealt with discrimination and, 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 you know, the feeling again of, of being powerless you For know, sure. um, and not having a voice. That was her thing. Um, and I think she skirted around sort of the politics behind it uh, because, you know, she worked so hard, I think, to, to start over. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it. I think her parents also sort of dismissed it too. Like it's not important now. We ha- this is where we are. This is yeah. your new life, sort of thing. Just throw it into the road. And it's not until I'd say in the last five years to ten years, my mom got more vocal about the politics side. So most of this information growing up was coming from my dad. Okay. Whereas, like you know, he 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 left out the sort of personal struggle yeah my I, mom was all about the personal struggle she kind of got both sides of it which yeah. is uh which is really fantastic and having you know parents sure. that went through all of this firsthand yeah i remember like my mom said in school she she used to see kids drawing um the a picture of a kid with devil horns and writing palestinian on it <laughs> and she was she was really you know she that really tore her up you know oh and then, but then but what's funny about that is i remember reading about that yep. happening to jews in germany that. yeah mm-hmm. same and, thing um and mm-hmm. i remember telling my mom and her not believing that could be the case you know or you know yeah. but saying well probably you know but um but yeah so so i think you know, when I had read that, you know, happening or, you know, people reporting that happening during the time of the Holocaust, I just, again, I just felt like this is, it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's, th- it's, this it's, isn't supposed to be happening. No, no. You know, you've had the Jewish people that throughout history time and time again, um, you know, shit, shit has happened to them. And then especially with the Holocaust uh, in most recent memory. Um, I, I, I would just like to, I don't even know, like, but what I'm thinking is that they're, kind of like, well, fuck this. This is this is ours and I don't give a shit about anything else, right? Because all of these things have happened and if we ever let anything else like that happen again to us, well, you know, that's yeah. that's that's on us, right? Mm-hmm. Um but that is a that is a poor outlook on it, you know. Um, you know, circumstances are circumstances and the Holocaust was fucking terrible. I mean, I remember growing up and um, my mother telling me the story that uh, she went to her aunt and uh, she's like, oh, why, why do you have numbers? She asked my grandma mm. why she have numbers on her. And she, you know, she, you know, she told her about the Holocaust and everything like that. Um, and, you know, that always stuck with me. But, uh, you know, going through all of that as, as a people to then, you know, you know, cause pain on, a, on another group of people, it just tears my heart up. It, it, it really does because it's it's not fair to happen to, to anyone going through these yeah. things. Well, like, you know, I mean, it kind of also comes back to, you know, ab- abusers being abused. Yep, so, always. This is, this is, I think, yeah. like, the Israeli-Palestinian thing is just, like, a macrocosm of, <laughs> of an abusive abuse, relationship. Yeah, of course. You know? Exactly. I, 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 always, I always talk about this, and then I'll let you share your point. Uh, you talked <laughs> enough, boy. <laughs> Jesus. No, 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 straight up, but I, 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 I share this point. <laughs> Uh, you're so funny. Um, I share this point that um, you know, if if you have a you know a son and a daughter, and they and they 
grow up and their their the father is very abusive to the mother um the daughter watching the dad hit the mom uh she's going to be more prone to accept that from a significant other and then the son will be more prone to you know laying his hands on a significant other um and i grew up knowing that firsthand uh you know uh, watching the things that my father did to my mom did to me um and I always knew that that was not the way to fucking handle a situation. And, um, you know, even when he would hit me, it would, it would just make me act out more. Right. Um, but, uh, you, you take that and you put that on a fucking large scale, like, you know, Israel, like you guys just said, and it's, um, it's the abuser acting as the abusee or the abuser. You get, you get what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So now you can chime in, no, brother. No, I, I think, I, just I, think I was going to just behave, Alex. <laughs> behave. Come on, man. Get your shit together. No, no, no I, seriously. Go, go, go. No, no, I, 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 I agree. I agree with what you were saying. Yeah. I think that it's um, like for the, for, I think the only way that peace is ever going to be achieved is for both sides just to forgive, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. and have to move forward because there is no other way out without massive violence and death and everybody just saying, okay, listen, let's figure out a way to get along in a healthy relationship. Yeah. And we've passed. I mean, it's it's like, you know, there's like the, the hardest part is like the, you you want justice, right? So it's like how like like at what level of what level is there justice and what level is it revenge? So it's yeah. like you got to figure out a just way to forgive. I, that's why I, my hopes with the youth. Yeah, You know, exactly. I feel like they want this too. Yeah. When I listen to them, you know, they're ready to move on. They want yeah. better mm-hmm. leaders. They want change. They want, yeah. they're a movement. Yes. And I think that this is the only way forward yeah. through forgiveness, but not going to come yeah. from anyone but the... No, no, for sure. It's a, it's truly a pivotal moment um, where we uh, we make these choices. You know, you go left, do you go right? And it'll take time to tell, um, you know, what, what the right choice was with the, with the youth. But I am very, very hopeful uh, that they will bring real and positive change. Um, you know, it was... <laughs> having you guys come on uh, today it, it it means it means a lot to me because uh talking about real issues that are going on in the world from the point of view uh that you you guys you know saw it you know what your, your your parents went through in the life and the and the hardship and the struggle and the fucking ingenuity that that they did to create two amazing and i'm sure four amazing uh, uh children but at least two that i'm seeing right in front of me um it it it, it blows my mind um and so it, it it is a it is a really really exciting time and i just want to thank you guys so much for being uh a part of this journey with 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 me um and and thank you so much for you know really sharing your guys story because uh i do believe that a lot of people um will, will take a lot from this podcast uh and um you know i yeah it just this this is fucking a lot and um I really look forward to the future. I, I really do. Um, you know, 
I, I know you always got something to chime in, so chime in. No, 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 no. I, I, it does, it does, it does. Uh, well, I, I, uh, I, I really appreciate you having us on. This was an yeah. awesome experience, and I, I've always had just a. It's always been a pleasure just to have a conversation with you about real shit. So yeah. thanks for having oh, us on. Thank you. Thanks for letting me, you know, join in the bromance. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel very special. Yes, you should. <laughs> no, but thank you. It's yeah. very refreshing. And um, when Alex told me about you, you know, I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> really, that really? fucking guy? <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, but your authenticity and your curiosity and just that genuine excitement to learn is has been refreshing. Yeah. So thanks. Thank yeah, you. that is as I was sharing with you guys in the beginning. You know, for me, going through this journey is really about bringing all of my you know biggest issues, regrets, thoughts, ideas to the forefront. Because I am personally at this point in my life where life is, I say this every fucking podcast, I'm like a broken record. Um, life is like, it, it's a blink of an eye. And um, not not everyone on the face of this planet has the opportunity that the three of us have. Just talking about, uh, you know, what is going on in the world today on, you know, they don't have the same rights and freedoms that we do. So if you are put in a place uh, like we are, um, you just gotta put. You gotta push through. Life can be fucking hard, but to live a life of no regrets is very hard. Um, but it is it is achievable because at the end of the day, you know, what do we, what do we got to show for? So, uh, thank you guys again. Seriously appreciate it. I know this won't be the last time. All right. Masalam. Thank you everyone for listening to Back to Your Story. Have a good night. Hi.